0: Hello, everyone, and welcome to episode 73 of Through the Years, the podcast reviews Ring of Honor, show by show from the beginning. My name is Trevor Dame. the other voice you are about to hear, as always, is the co-host of Through the Years, Matt Feuerstein. Matt, it's crazy, you know, all summer we've been talking about CM Punk, and now all of a sudden all these other wrestling podcasts are now talking about CM Punk. We are so goddamn influential, it's crazy how everyone's just hopping on the bandwagon lately
1: yep it's all because of us and what we've been talking about and um you're welcome wrestling fans um uh, no but but also i will i will mention uh, it's another heat wave here in new york this weekend um so i will once again be sweating through the oldies the wrestling oldies uh on uh on tonight's episode so um you're welcome again wrestling fans for all the hard work that trevor and i do for you
0: Yes, we, we we do make sacrifices, you know. But whether it's sacrificing Saturday evenings or sweating our brains off in two very—I mean, I guess everywhere is hot nowadays, thanks to the wonders of climate change. But um, we 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 forego many luxuries, at least a couple.
1: <laughs> yeah, sacrificing Saturday evenings, right? <laughs> sure. <laughs> uh,
0: all right. <laughs> Let's stop before we break into crying. Yes. Um, and as always on, uh, we do the little plug here where we talk about, hey – if you, we are we're on multiple feeds, so if you're listening to us on the regular through the years feed, that's just our show. There's a great feed of pro wrestling podcasts called the Pro Wrestling Only Podcast Network, where we're just one show on there. If you're listening on, to us on that, but want like just a uncluttered feed of every single episode where it's easy to get to all our archives, well then just search for through the years. You can get to it that way. And as always, we are also still now on YouTube. Our episodes get uploaded there. And I see Matt. We now have like four new subscribers. Subscribers, I just got in our in our show email. It said something like late in the last I don't know week or month, nine hundred something minutes have been listened to. So now there are like th- we've grown from like one person that listens via YouTube to four. The the are Matt. It's a four hundred percent growth.
1: It is truly the uest of tubes. I um <laughs> I appreciate all of our YouTube listeners. Um, I'm still not going to post any video content at all along with these episodes so if that's what you're waiting for keep waiting suckers
0: (laughs) um you know what's funny i don't know if you noticed this but the other day we got an email that's uh, we i should probably just talk about this off here but we got email saying one of our episodes was flagged as adult restricted and it was i I didn't
1: even notice that (laughs)
0: It was the episode it, – Matt, it's, it's, this is hilarious. It's the At Our Best episode where we spent three hours talking about Ralph Feinstein. Oh, gosh. But I think it's just because for that episode, I used the picture of a Bloody Jay Briscoe as the image. So that's probably what got flagged. It would be a really funny thing if that's not what it was flagged. But, um, <laughs> that means someone like listened to the whole thing and was like, we gotta, <laughs> I got to flag this. This yeah, is inappropriate. This, this, this is for adults only. This, I mean this, it is. This, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> You know what? I would say it's PG 13. Uh, you know, you, you want to let your kid get introduced to the world of wrestling podcast. Let them listen to three hours about business tor- turmoil and, like, accusations of underage sex. And uh,
1: no. Um, six hours is what the length of that episode. And if you want your. But only
0: three hours are about that. Three other hours are just good old fashioned through the years revealing. Trevor is trying to corrupt your children.
1: Don't let it happen. <laughs> it's adult restricted.
0: <laughs> so, um, I guess the one thing we should also mention quickly that between the last episode and this episode is we don't talk about wrestler deaths often just because, you know, that's luckily covering through old Ring of Honor, you don't have to cover many wrestling wrestler deaths and not many apply to us and obviously other shows do a far better job covering career retrospectives, but I guess we should mention quickly Bobby Eaton, who is someone we have covered through the years with the Midnight Express reunion, passed away between the last episode and this episode. Obviously, he did not wrestle for Ring of Honor, but you know, in the sense, he had an episode dedicated to, I mean, a, a Ring of Honor show dedicated to him in part, and one of the greatest tag wrestlers, I guess, of all, I mean, not, not, I guess, definitely of all time, I mean, one of those guys where you can't really go wrong when you talk about just like watch him from pretty much anywhere to at least. Probably the mid '90s when his body starts breaking down. Like, just great wrestler, and yeah. also reputation for being one of like the nicest guys in wrestling.
1: Yeah, I mean, I mean, I have nothing to add about Bobby Eaton that you know that many others haven't already said better. But uh, obviously, one of the greatest of all time. Uh, rest in peace.
0: Yes. And there's actually some news to cover between the last episode and this episode. Some things actually happened. The first thing, Matt, is uh, it's not really huge news. It's just a, a summary of uh, an interview Samoa Joe did. But there's a fun, a few fun little tidbits. Um, from the Pro Wrestling Torch, they had a recap. They wrote, Samoa Joe said he signed with TNA instead of further pursuing a deal with WWE because TNA was, quote, a better fit for me, unquote. Joe told the Wrestling Weekly radio show last week that WWE's travel schedule is not something that fits into his current life, and he is able to work various independent promotions and Ring of Honor. On CM Punk's decision to sign with WWE, Joe said Punk was already working dark matches, so it worked out well for him. Joe was critical of WWE for not allowing wrestlers to wrestle on their own. He believes that the wrestlers can simply wrestle and tell a story but the story doesn't have to be told by the writers on dropping the ring of honor title to austin aries joe said it was a welcome relief after lugging the 15 pound belt around for a year i i think it's funny first off you know to joe criticizing the wda writing you know thank god they finally figured you know they fixed that problem that you know that was that's a that's a mid-aughts problem that you know they've long since figured out <laughs> but but uh, the other thing was it is amazing the number of wrestlers like that when you ask them about like oh how'd you feel to lose this title how many of them their response over the years i've read i've read them or heard them say is just oh thank god i don't have to plug that fucking thing around with me like it's, there's like to a lot of wrestlers there's no romance about being a champ i mean some wrestlers they really care and some wrestlers they're just like Thank God I just don't have to carry this thing around on every show I go to now.
1: It it could also be a case of just looking on the bright side too. Um, You know what I mean? Like, well, you know, I'm sad I'm not the champion anymore, but at least I don't have to carry that damn thing around. Um, Do you think, um, you know, given what Joe said about the, uh, you know, about not going to WWE, do you think there's any scenario where – joe's career works out better if he goes to wwe at the same time as punk like obviously you know there are things i think that there's a level that he could have gotten to that he never did but do you think that going to wwe would have gotten him there at that time
0: i i doubt it here's what here's why i wonder if you agree with this i think joe's career if he came around this time would have topped out in WWE. like if everything broke right for him would have topped out at umaga level like getting a gimmick like that having a feud with john cena like a, a notable feud and probably staying down in the mid for a few years after that and getting eventually released or something like that's i i kind of feel like the size bias would have gotten to him and look like for a lot of wrestlers that's not a bad run to have but i think you you and i love Somojo so much and believe he is such a talent that that still would have been a gross Underuse, underutilization of his talents, but to me, I feel like that's where, like, I just that era of WWE, I just have a hard time feeling like he gets any bigger than that, even if everything breaks his way.
1: Here's the one wild card that might make me disagree with you. The only reason that CM Punk got to stay CM Punk and debut on WWE TV as CM Punk is because Paul Heyman was running OVW at this point and then he was able he was actually given control over a TV show called ECW and was brought in and was able to bring in Punk into OVW as CM Punk was able to bring him up to ECW as CM Punk and do you not think it's impossible that Joe would have gotten the same preferential treatment from Heyman and that would have allowed him to avoid the Umaga-type gimmick. Um, does, does that make sense?
0: It, it is possible, but in a way, part of me wonders if that almost would have hurt him because I think that's the kind of gimmick Vince McMahon would like to push, you know? Like, I, I think if Paul Heyman pushed Samoa Joe on the ECW brand like Samoa Joe's in Ring of Honor, I think eventually when it came time to, like, maybe push him more on the major brands, Vince McMahon would be like, well, I don't want to push this guy in the way they're pushing him. You know, I, I think what appeals to Vince, as we have seen recently, what appeals to people booking developmental or smaller ter- promotions for w- in the WWE umbrella, and what appear appeals to Vince McMahon are two vastly different things. And- but,
1: yes, yes, I agree. But think about what would have happened to Punk if if Heyman hadn't been there. Probably would have been given a new character in, in OVW, right? And yeah. probably would not have been brought up to to the main roster if at all with that gimmick and once he was brought up to the main roster it really took another three years for them to actually start letting him be a character that could like even slightly live up to his potential as far as like mic work and all that stuff so like i don't know it it was like punk got a bunch of lucky breaks um i don't know I i think it's possible that Joe could have gotten some lucky breaks. Now at the same time, him going to TNA I think was was good for him in a way. He got to really do some legendary things there. Um yeah. like that he probably would not have been able to do in WWE for several years. Um but also might have saved his body a little bit of of stress at the, at the same time. Um i don't know it's it's interesting to think about i don't think it's so cut and dry that he would have been a flop in wwe at that time i guess that's really what i'm saying i'm not saying that it definitely would have worked out but i think that some people take for granted that wwe would have not done anything with him and i don't take that for granted necessarily because of what i just said because of what i just said yeah
0: i will say this to your point matt which is Punk and Brian, like I never would have guessed they would have reached the heights in WWE that uh, that they did. So, like if I'm wrong about them, it's it's not hard to imagine that I could have been wrong about Joe if he had gotten signed with them, you know? Because I never would have guessed Punk would have been allowed, you know, to get as over as he got in WWE. I never would have guessed that Brian da- Danielson would have main evented a WrestleMania, you know? So. Maybe there is an argument. There was an era. I don't know if the, I think that era feels like with the NXT news that happened between the last show and this show, like about how they're changing everything there. Like I feel like that era has passed. But there, wa- there was a brief wondrous era where it did feel like real great talent could rise further than it had before, even if they had like size deficiencies or weren't the kind of look or background that vince loved but.
1: yeah and, and and i'll just say this even like and you know obviously we'll have many or more years to talk about brian danielson but um i'd say saying that he main evented wrestlemania that like almost under that understates yeah. what he accomplished right like he was for a very brief time the closest thing to like a mainstream superstar babyface that the entire american wrestling industry had in the past like 20 years like that's like you know I I I know that sounds like an exaggeration but like you know go back to the first few months of 2014 like it was magical you know and like I don't know just there's just things are possible that you just don't necessarily think are possible in life and and that's a lesson to you all children
0: (laughs) see now this is an episode for the kids with those kinds of uplifting messages that's right but uh, that actually makes a good transition to my next little news. But from the Observer, Punk was actually already uh, doing some stuff for WWE at this point, even though he was still winding down his Ring of Honor run. Um, the Observer wrote, CM Punk made his TV, de- TV debut being beating OVW wrestler Rob Bagley. He had Nikki James as his manager and gave them an offshoot of the Nitro Molina ring entrance from OVW that may- never made its way to WWE. I'm told the Punk-James pairing was only a tryout, even though it was taped for television. There were small Ring of Honor and Punk chants. Of course, he didn't wear the Ring of Honor belt. But because most of the crowd had no idea who he was, they were quickly drowned out by loud, boring chants. They also had him change his hair to being jet black with maroon streaks and maroon wrestling trunks. His new look was described as looking like a maroon Larry Zabisco. His leg... (laughs) (laughs) His leg drop off the top finisher looked good. So... Apparently, apparently – now, I, I, I couldn't find this anywhere else but this one website, and I don't know if I trust this, but I was kind of searching for more information on this match after reading that. And one website claims this was taped for Sunday Night Heat but never aired on Heat because WWE didn't like how it went.
1: Uh, but, it, it definitely didn't air on Heat. Yeah. I, I feel very confident using that word definitely even though I have not checked.
0: But this does have all the hallmarks of like a tryout that didn't stick because, you know – he does not have a long-term pairing with Mickey James. He does not use, I think, you know, certainly by the time he gets to the ECW brand, a top rope leg drop as a finisher. And I don't know if he ever looks, Matt, like a maroon Larry Zabisco.
1: No, this is, um, this is definitely where, like, my whole Heyman thing comes in. Like, Heyman had just started being the booker of OVW, I think pretty shortly before this and like once punk actually debuts on ovw tv he's pretty much just CM punk like he has he wears more eyeshadow but like other than that he's and he's CM punk and he basically his the main thing he does over that year is he uh in ovw is he has a feud with uh, brett albright and that's pretty much you know how he how he how he goes so but no mickey james is never with him uh on on tv and uh yeah he's not He's not a whole new character. He's CM Punk.
0: I still can't get over maroon Larry's. Uh, I, what co- no what's, what looks- color
1: What color is Larry Zabisco then? <laughs>
0: <laughs> um, beige. <laughs> uh, so uh, next up, going to the PW Torch, um, Ring of Honor is not only about to lose CM Punk, its current world champion, but also the wrestler many predicted would end up world champion within a matter of weeks, James Gibson. Gibson, who wrestled in WWE as Jamie Noble, had been a standout wrestler in Ring of Honor this year, winning over fans with stellar in-ring performances. WWE apparently heard of Gibson's standout performances and decided to bring him back. He was released last year after filing an inappropriate medical claim under his WWE insurance related to steroid usage. Additionally, WWE has also agreed to terms with Brian Spanky Kendrick to bring him back. Spanky has worked several Ring of Honor events this year between Japan tours. The signings may be WWE's attempt to keep from signing potential strong X Division wrestlers, WWE may also be attempting to strengthen its cruiserweight division by this fall before TNA debuts on Spike TV. Uh, I have one other note on this. I just have to grab it because apparently I am bad at setting up the podcast. Um, do, 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 do. Let me just see here. This is from the Observer's version of it. Let me just see because I just. Do, do, do. Very professional by me. But um, the Observer I'll, wrote – Now on I'll the, sing a
1: song while you're waiting. No, just kidding. Sorry.
0: <laughs> the Observer wrote, Jamie Noble and Spanky both agreed to uh, return this past week. Very strange the company cuts so many low-level guys and then hires two people who, for what would likely be low-level positions. The way we heard it was Vince Grant realized they were short on cruiserweights and since the Mexicools are favorites of his, they needed new opponents for them. John yeah, Lawrence, yeah,
1: th- yeah, that's definitely how it worked out. <laughs> Remember those remember those feuds with with Kendrick and Jamie Noble against the Mexicools? We all remember that, right? <laughs>
0: John Lerner and I is called two guys he already knew from previous 10 years with the company. Regarding the Mexicals, there's some trouble due to psychosis getting into some hot water behind the scenes and Juventud, of all people, being told that one more incident means they're all gone. In the case of Jamie Noble, TNA was wanting to bring him in when they got TV in October, although most of the two things aren't related since Noble's calls to return, even after word he had been talking with TNA was out, had still fallen on deaf ears until this week. Noble had turned down previous TNA offers because he was told as long as he didn't go to TNA, he could have his WWE job back once the situation blew over. Noble was originally fired when he got an internal infection, apparently from shooting steroids into an infected site on his butt cheek. He sent the medical information... Figuring apparently that shooting steroids was part of his work. So it was a work-related injury to WWE. So he sent it to WWE. The problem was that meant WWE had no plausible deniability that one of its wrestlers was using illegal drugs, steroids. Now you may laugh about this because a high percentage of WWE wrestlers use steroids, but they know enough to keep it quiet from management because their contract speci- contracts specifically state using any illegal drugs is a contract violation. WWE has the right to pretend and doesn't test much because it doesn't want to know. Jim Ross did test an OVW at times, although there was not there has not been a test in OVW since he left the position. Wait, but wait, wait, it, wait,
1: wait. Who just who just who are you just quoting that said
0: WWE has
1: the quote right to pretend? That's <laughs> <What>? Dave Meltzer. <laughs> is that a right? <laughs> what what amendment is that?
0: <laughs> uh, <laughs> that's the eighty second amendment. I don't. But um. Anyway, but when WWE does know, it has no choice but to act. Basically, the feeling on Noble was always he was a good worker and employee, even though the steroid thing wasn't his only black mark. But it, it it was the only one that got him fired. Spanky quit on his own, and it was always figured he'd go to TNA, but it never happened because he was unwilling to give up his Japanese deal. He was content to work very few indies and save himself for Zero One. When that company shut down, he went to Zero One Max. Since they are on a much tighter budget, they weren't booking him. They weren't booking nearly as many foreigners, so his income was way down. And TNA has a hiring freeze unless it's for a major exception until TV starts. So he likely couldn't get a deal there right now well going back um, Brian
1: Brian Kendrick has the right to pretend that TNA hired him
0: (laughs) his going back kind of surprised me though because he was so unhappy at the end of his run there so a lot to unpack there Matt obviously yeah so this was you know a big story around this time all of a sudden you know everyone was preparing for Punk to leave all of a sudden Gibson and Spanky are gonna go not that Spanky was involved in a major way in 2005 he was kind of just Popping in and out between his zero one commitments, but uh, yeah, the uh, so many things to mention. The right to pretend. Dave's vague comment. I don't always talk about that. That was not the only black mark James Gibson had. More clarification on that story that we um we mentioned. I think when James Gibson first came to Ring of Honor and someone helped. Us, we forgot why he was fired. and someone helped but that was Justin for,
1: Shapiro who helped
0: yes Justin Shapiro did and of course Dave going into it more detail there which again still a crazy story of James Gibson gets a medical problem injecting steroids and then feels like he should be able to file a claim with WWE and then like uh, we have to fire you because you just admitted you did steroids um, but yeah it, it's it's uh it's sad that uh i mean we we just talked matt we just talked about what about cm punk and brian danielson succeeding in wwe and whether joe could or couldn't i feel like james gibson and spanky are the flip side of that coin you know it's what happens when you when everything doesn't break your way in this era when paul Heyman isn't in your corner um
1: yeah, I you mean, know, they, I, be, I bet if I bet if Jamie Noble went to OVW and then to ECW, he would have had a better run on the main roster.
0: Yeah, I mean, you know, there was that brief moment where Spanky like had like a tiniest bit of a push as the Brian Kendrick. You yeah, know. And, he, and
1: he had that. You know, he was a tag champion with London, so like his second run probably ended up getting him more high-profile matches than his first remember when when london first debuted in 2003 and it was just him him and spanky getting completely destroyed by brock lesnar Oh, good times
0: oh, uh, oh i was just gonna say some i thought this is what you were gonna say someone just reposted this clip the other day i think after the nxt news of um for those who are listening to this way in the future we're recording this days after the big story was that uh WWE is kind of restructuring NXT, you know, they fired a lot of people from there, and that they're likely trying it more into an old-school developmental for young green guys and big guys and all that stuff. But anyway, I guess in the light of that, to kind of laugh at Triple H, someone posted a clip of Triple H just completely squashing um, Paul London and Brian Kendrick. Like, when they when hit. they were tag team champions, right? Exactly, yeah, yeah, and uh, uh, so yeah, that's what they're going back to, but um, yeah it's 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 especially sad when you know you got james gibson on this run who's probably truthfully saying you know this is you know some of the best times i've ever had wrestling and you know you know i've gotten to be myself and this has meant so much to me and you know this is where the real wrestling is and then he's going back you know because hey it's it's obviously better money but you know he's going back to a place where he's not going to be utilized to the best of his abilities and uh but we got a few shows left with these two. Yeah, so, hey, um,
1: you know, I mean, you know, just like on the bright side, like not having to carry that belt around, at least James Gibson got this this run in ROH to, so, you know, the world can look to it and say, like, this is what this guy could have brought to the table if he was given the chance to. Like, because I think without the ROH run, no one really would have known for sure, you know, there was really nowhere else where he was able to have these kinds of high-profile matches in his entire career, right? So, like... um so this 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 I'm sure still he looks back on this ROH run as one of the highlights of his career, at least in terms of in the ring stuff.
0: And finally, one last bit before we get to the show, I found another Wade Keller article thing, and I just feel like Wade was really going on some in some directions with I I, I do not think I will use my fancy Wade Keller voice that you enjoyed so much, Matt. But I will read. <laughs> so this is just an extra. No, do it. <laughs> This is just an okay this is just an excerpt from a longer column where way during this period wrote a column about basically saying like right now there seems to be a lot of pseudo shoots going on and work shoots cuz talked about how you know you had the Hulk Hogan Shawn Michaels SummerSlam feud at this point which was building up you know some kind of like you know Shawn Michaels was clearly not in you know part of it was Some real feelings probably that he did not love Hulk Hogan and that was being worked into it. We had the Edge Matt Hardy thing going on and we also – he also decided to lump in the CM Punk storyline, the Summer of Punk storyline with that. So this is the excerpt of that article where he talks about Ring of Honor. Ring of Honor is attempting to accomplish something similar. Gabe Sapolsky and CM Punk seem to be trying to blur the lines, hinting that Punk is refusing to drop the Ring of Honor title before going to WWE. It sounds a lot like the old-style promoting tactic of the foreign villain threatening to take the belt back to his country if he beats the good guy champ. Are Sapolsky and Punk attempting to just keep everyone on their toes so no Ring of Water fans really know the difference between t- truth and fiction? Or is it an attempt to genuinely fool them because they've grown tired of trying to cater to the vocal know-it-alls who dare second-guess their product? If it's the latter, it has almost no chance of working given the current Ring of Honor fan base. Ring of Honor fans feel a great sense of ownership of the promotion. Ring of Honor events are smaller, more intimate. Fans feel they're more part of a clubhouse than a stadium. Therefore, they don't want to be treated as outsiders or just fans. They want to be respected and told the truth. They also became fans of Ring of Honor because it stood for something different than the higher budget alternatives with bigger name wrestlers. Ring of Honor Honor was about clean finishes, world-class work rate, standing ovations for a great sequence, and an unstated handshake agreement with the promoters and wrestlers that they treat their fans with more respect and dignity than Vince McMahon or WCW management had over the years. Sapolsky is now not only trying to play his fans as marks by using old-style means to get heat on heels, but Punk is criticized. Criticizing fans for their rejecting of that approach, telling them to go watch baseball if they don't like Ring of Honor's evolution. When promoters and wrestlers start telling their audience what they want and act as if they know better than the fans themselves, they're doomed. That said, nobody knows the Ring of Honor fans better than Sapolsky and Punk do. Perhaps they're willing to turn away a few long-time loyalists if they feel it's necessary to change up the style to draw a larger base of fans in the long run. But in the meantime, they shouldn't be offended if the fans who know the most don't eat up the pseudo-shoots in the same way as the mainstream majority of WWE fans. Ring of Honor fans pride themselves on not being suckers. They'll walk away from the promotion first. For WWE... There may be enough fans who who think they know more than they do to make pseudo-shoots actually pay off at the box office for Ring of Honor, attending the same thing as the potential to backfire and turn off some of their core followers. Uh, Matt, I mean, <laughs> I think Wade sometimes at this era of Ring of Honor was just wading deeper into waters he didn't swim in often enough because I think he's just over he, – he's – over exaggerating a lot of things here, he's exaggerating a lot of things here, and, um, even just like, like the idea, like he's acting like this is the first time Ring of Honor had ever tried, like, a pseudo work shoot or anything, like, maybe he was not, a, did not watch the, the, the Ring of Honor riot and then the two horrible attempts to recreate the riot, which in itself was a work shoot, or, various other things Ring of Honor has done at already up to this point in their history. The idea that like, oh, these fans, they're gonna reject Ring of Honor, you know, they're gonna they're insulting their intelligence in their intelligence. Like no, I mean, some, well, I don't know.
1: I just, well, so well, weird. well. First of all, I did. We all did. Used to like to pretend when we went to ROH shows that um, we were in a clubhouse, and um, you know that was our right. We had we had the right to pretend that we were in a clubhouse.
0: Matt, Matt, I know sometimes when you were like in the Manhattan Center in the New York Hotel or something, you were like, "Oh, I, is this a stadium? I'm just going to pretend it's a clubhouse." But I could think it's a stadium. Like we we you, have. You, but but you but please, I want you to acknowledge that we had the right to pretend that. <laughs> we, 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 we fully
1: have that right. Um, but, um, yeah, I mean, I think, you know, Wade wasn't the only one exaggerating what this was at the time. You know, if you read Meltzer, there was a little bit of that too. And if you actually just go back and watch it, like, It was just a wrestling angle. You know what I mean? Like, it was just like, and I guess, you know, like the way they presented it before the live shows was a little bit more worked shooty, but like any, any of the DVDs you watch and it's like, this doesn't feel like a work shoot. It feels like CM Punk is being a heel. You know, like it, do you know what I mean? Like, I don't, you don't really see the work shoot elements when you watch the, the video product, right? Like, it's just, it's just an angle.
0: Yeah, like, like, and obviously some of that stuff, unfortunately, is lost to time because a lot of the stuff on the, like, the archive.org where I can go back and look at, like, the official Ring of Honor website and stuff. It's been just so much of this stuff is not saved. But stuff like we mentioned, I think on a recent episode, someone said something like on the website, Gabe was acting like CM Punk was threatening to not do business behind the scenes and all that stuff. Like, like you just said, none of that. Shows up if you just watch the DVDs, you know, or, you know, or this comment, it must have happened somewhere about Wade saying that CM Punk said that if the fans don't like Ring of Honor Instruction, they could just go watch baseball. Like you just said, going to your point, if you just watch the DVDs, it just feels like a pro wrestling angle. The, the more egregious stuff that's maybe bothering some people is not something that made its way into the on-screen product.
1: In fact, CM Punk does commentary on this particular show. Like, like, what a work shoot. This, this company is like trying to act like this guy's trying to leave with the company. And then they're also just like, Hey, but you know, if you want to sit in on commentary, you know, that would be cool. And we could just make, we could just be mad at you on commentary. Like, clearly it's just an angle. Like, so everybody needs to chill out 16 years Uh, ago. Chill out 16 years (laughs) ago. That's what I say.
0: And that finally brings us to the show we are covering today. The Homecoming took place july twenty-third, two thousand five, at the Philadelphia at the Pennsylvania National Guard Armory in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania, in front of a reported crowd of five hundred and fifty fans. By the way, Matt, by the, the way, way, I'm
1: not gonna let go of this right to pretend thing. This is gonna be my new thing until I forget about it. Possibly before this show is over, but possibly
0: not. <laughs> yeah, like I I get what you're saying, like too, like like I, I thought it was weird when I was reading that too. Like, W has the right to pretend the wrestlers aren't doing steroids. It's like, well, if they're kind of aware of it, like that that'd be like like if I was aware of a murder, I don't have the right to pretend I didn't see a murder. I have like a legal obligation to report the crime. Like, you know, you snitch? No, just kidding. You're <laughs> <laughs> gonna give me stitches, Matt? I, but. Um, but yeah. Uh, but
1: also, and also, I'm just thinking of now, like, if there was a faction called the Right to Pretend that feuded with the Right <laughs> to Censor, who would be in it? Would it be like Alexa um, Bliss?
0: I was about to say Bray Wyatt Alexa Bliss. That could be the name of their stable. They're just like, everything's possible when you use your imagination and then That's some weird, like, doll thing happens. But, uh, right. so what, so on this show, things that we'll just have to pretend or imagine because we don't get to see is, uh, this was the first show of, that started a trend that Ring of Honor would do pretty regularly going forward, which would be to let the, uh, the students wrestle a few dark matches that did not make tape before the show started the proper show started. So we get Smash Bradley beating Pele Primo. We get Matt Turner and Shane Hagadorn defeating J- Bobby Dempsey and Derek Dempsey. And we get Davey Andrews defeating Antonio Blanca. And then Matt there's another dark match, not Ring of Honor students. El Generico defeats Kevin Steen. And it does not, as crazy as it seems, folks, it does not make the DVD I guess, you know, the D V D was pushing three hours as it is as it is. Something has to get cut. And I guess that tells you like um where these two guys were on their first little mini run of Ring of Honor where they're the match that gets cut, you know. That match also and didn't
1: go well. I was at the show, by the way. Um, wow. I, yeah. I didn't know that. Yes. I This was, is was my third ever Ring of Honor show. And I um, – yeah, uh, that match didn't go very well. I don't remember so many of the details, but it didn't go super well, and it was the end of the first run of Kevin Steen and El Generico, if I am not mistaken. They they, I, they don't show up I again think, until no, two thousand seven. I don't believe. No, they do, Matt. Oh, they, 2006, I know. The, that.
0: No, the, there are still some matches. I think they have in two thousand five. I think what what show or the, the 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 Buffalo show? Um, I know Kevin Steen wrestles a four way. And El Generico wrestles something as well. I can look it up. It, just give me a sec. Because
1: um, I know Generico comes back in late 2006. I remember that. And Steen comes back in February 2007. I remember that. But I um, I did not I – guess, I guess it would have to be the Buffalo show. That's the only show I could think of that they would have appeared on after this. Um, the Buffalo uh, – the Dragon Gate invasion that takes place in um, – that takes place in August of 2005, if, if I am not mistaken. But the, the show on, the, the match on this, on this night, yeah, I, like I said, it's so long ago. I don't remember the specifics of like botches and stuff like that. But I remember the match, the match didn't go well. And the thing is, there were some other matches on this show that didn't go particularly well. And they made the DVD. So, yes, yeah, so you're right. I'm sure a lot of it also has to do with just where Steen and Generico were on the pecking order in roh at uh at this point in time as well
0: so matt you were wrong but then you were right and saved yourself you you kicked out at 2.9 because in fact the one show i can find that they both work on in 2005 after this is the buffalo show is dragon gate invasion uh kevin steen does a four corner match with chad collier Davey andrews and jimmy jacobs and homicide wrestles el generico actually on that show it's okay a so, so match
1: so that so that's the end of their run in uh in ROH in Open. So this
0: was almost the end. Yeah, this yeah. this the, but uh.
1: But yeah, but you're right. But like that, the, the match, the match between the two of them was not meant to be a dark match on this show. It was, yeah. um, it was, it was part of the main card, and it it got it got it got cut. And like like you said, it did. Like the DVD did run long, and these were guys that were not involved in much stuff. But still, you'd think those two against each other would be good enough that you would you'd squeeze it on there somehow. But they uh. It was it wasn't their best match against each other, unfortunately.
0: Yeah. It just seems like they were snake bit in a lot of different ways. Like the booking did not help them, some of their performances did not help them. It just you know, it's because these guys were doing great, well received work in other promotions and even showed flashes of it, I think on this run, but like you know, that El Generico Austin Aries match we just watched was pretty good and it just it's didn't go their way. But they will have their day, Matt. Um, we open with on the DVD with a shot of the Ring of Honor World title. We zoom out to see it's being held by Alice in Danger backstage, and that next to her is the man who stole it at the last show. It's Christopher Daniels. Uh, Daniels says he didn't steal the belt because he feels he deserves the title. He says he just stole it because he feels he just deserves a shot at the, to be the champ. He says if circumstances were different, he might have gone about this all a different way. If Samoa Joe or Austin Aries were still champ, he'd work his way up the ladder like everybody else. Else. but daniel says punk forced his hand by threatening on every show to just walk out with the belt go to titan towers and hand it to vince mcmahon and give him a big ol' hug daniel says if you think he's going to let that happen you're out of your mind and a very you know quick solid you know d- pr- good promo. i mean nothing amazing but it's just a good thing to kind of i like that they you know that daniel's went out of his way to kind of go like yeah, I did a uh, you know, he he he's aware that the idea of like stealing a title is a heelish thing to get a world title shot, but I you basically, you know, you being a heel forced me to do the heelish thing. And if it wasn't for that, I would have just done this the good honorable way.
1: It's still another example of what I complained about on the on the last show though. Alice in danger just uh just standing there making faces, um not saying anything like she would have in the old days. It's a thing and it bothers me. <laughs>
0: Matt, you act like she's just a prop to stand around and then come in late to get punched in the face during the match for no good reason at the end of the match. Like, that's not going to happen tonight. Come on. She's going to have something to do, something really important. Surely, Matt. Surely. I mean,
1: I, I will say this. Um, but I'll say it more later. She does do something important during that match besides what you said. So I will, we'll, just, <laughs> we'll talk about it later.
0: Elsewhere backstage, we find Alex Shelley at the top of a row of stairs with his gear bag. I guess the implication being that he is still, at this point, like six months of this, not welcome the Ring of Honor locker room and having to get dressed like in stairwells, apparently. Um, Shelley says, once again, the wrestling world is abuzz with news only he knows. The internet, Ring of Honor management, Ring of Honor wrestlers, dirt sheets, Samurai TV. Everyone wants to know who Shelley's mystery partner is going to be tonight. Shelley says he could have gone to his past, picked some he knows who he knows who has been in ring of honor before like chris Sabin or pd williams he could have gone to his present and brought in a guy like rhino or sabu or he could have looked to the future and brought in someone that's hot off the presses like a charlie haas shelly says though if he's learned one thing loose lips sink ships and this ship is going to sail and then the camera pans down to shelly's shirt which does in fact say loose lips sink ships." so i have to think He got the shirt and then decided, I'm going to make a promo out of this. Matt, I think this promo is most notable for the fact that um, Hot Off the Presses and Charlie Haas were used in the same sentence probably for the first and only time in history. Wow, Um,
1: shots fired at Charlie Haas. Boom,
0: boom. Got you, Charlie.
1: Yeah, I mean it was a a fine promo to get over the the storyline that they are going to spend a decent
0: portion of the show focusing on, so – and that brings us to the opening match, a four-corner survival match. Spanky defeated Azriel and Deranged and Nigel McGuinness in 16 minutes, 7 seconds, when he pinned Deranged after he hit the Slice bread number two. Matt, I looked this up. This is um, Asriel's third straight um, four-corner match. I think it's his fourth four-corner match in his last five matches. And in his last six matches, he had one singles match apart from those four-corner matches and a six-way match. So, you know, if Trent Acid was – except he hasn't won none of them. So if Trent Acid was like – remember they briefly did that gimmick in 2004 where he was the king of the multi-man matches? Is like Azrael the – I don't know, the court jester of the multi-man matches where he is just in them all but doesn't win a single one of them? I I don't know.
1: Isn't it weird that people remember this as – ROH trying to push Azrael for a little while. Like, <laughs> clearly well, that was not what was happening, right? Like, there's there's no way that you look back on this and it's like, well, yeah, this guy's getting a push.
0: I mean, they broke him out of the the tag act and clearly he was getting used on car he was getting to wrestle in these four ways more prominent opponents than you know i mean certainly he's in a better spot right now than say dixie who isn't on the card but yeah he it's almost like they they almost wanted to push him and then halfway through like, after they booked him for the shows almost decide like eh, maybe we don't want to push him so let's just throw him in these matches
1: yes and i do agree he's in a better position than people who are not booked at all yes <laughs> I, I do agree
0: I, I know, that's a bold take I have, but that, um, if you disagree, of course, you have the right to pretend, yes. but what did you think about the match? I don't want your pretend thoughts, I want your real thoughts about this match. I really thought this match was pretty disappointing,
1: and when I say disappointing, I mean considering like Spanky and Nigel McGuinness were in it, I typically like Deranged when he's in these multi-man matches and has a lot of like shtick going on, and you know, Asriel can do some cool stuff in some of these matches, Um and... I don't know. I just didn't think this match clicked. Um, first of all, we should mention Punk is on commentary, which, like I said, is weird from a storyline perspective. He's leaving with the belt, but also, like, we're going to hire him to do commentary for a few matches. Um,
0: and I believe this is the final show, him for the little trivia factoids. I think this is the final show he ever does ring him on commentary for.
1: Yes. And he's his shtick here is to just be, like, the most over-the-top heel he's ever been. You know, just... Clowning on everybody, just like everyone on the roster, you know, saying stuff like, man, if Nigel is your top star when I split, what is ROH going to do? Meanwhile, at a certain point, Nigel does become their top star. Um, <laughs> um, but he also says that uh, Spanky will never, ever be a champion in ROH and that is true. Uh he, he was <laughs> Yeah, not. I was
0: like, ooh, that's that's hitting close to the bone, Punk. You don't realize maybe maybe Punk thought differently, but like, no, that's true. That that that, yes. that becomes true.
1: I mean Spanky does is a title holder in WWE, which is I guess, you know, probably better, right? Like right mm-hmm. as oh, as, yeah. but like still um he also says some very politically incorrect stuff about Nigel and Lacey that I won't repeat. But um yeah, it's, uh, he, that, you know, that's, that's sort of his thing here. Uh, Spank, uh, I mean, uh, Punk was very politically incorrect on commentary. It's hard, it's hard to remember how much he was like that, but, um, Zach obviously is completely indignant whenever Punk says it's his last night, because at this point, even the ROH guys are like, we don't believe you. You keep saying that and you keep coming back, which I appreciate that they're not like playing dumb anymore. They're not, you know, they've decided to, um, waive their right to pretend that CM Punk is leaving after each show. Um, which I appreciate. But like yeah, the match itself just like I don't know, there's some good stuff, but like you know, like Deranged and Azriel are methodical, which is not their oh well, against each other, which is not their strong suit. Um I guess like early on when they get in against each other, there's like a couple of missed time moments. So Deranged just like grabs a headlock and they um and then they just, they just work slowly for a while and the crowd is pretty quiet. So, like I mentioned, I was, I was at this show and this is the third ROH show I was at. And the first two were in like cool, like unique venues. The supper club, which was this like nightclub and then the New Yorker hotel, which was this ballroom with a chandelier and stuff. And I, and the, the most intense crowd heat that I can think of in any venue. And I thought every ROH show was just going to be like, have this cool vibe. And like, I grew to love the Philly National Guard Armory, the Pennsylvania National Guard, Guard Armory as a venue. But on this night, the first time I went there, I was like, Oh, it's a, it's a gym. <laughs> you know, it's just like, it's just like a sweaty gymnasium. And <laughs> it felt a lot less impressive. I have to say, like, I was like, Oh, this feels like an indie show. And like I said, I, I don't have that feeling about that venue now. I ended up really loving the venue, but on this night, it just, You know, it wasn't super packed and it just didn't have great, it didn't have a great atmosphere, especially for these early matches. And you could tell watching this match on DVD that just like people are just not into it. And you know, they try, you know, they go slow for a while, but they, they try to do a lot of spots where everyone's picking on deranged. And you know, this is another match where it's like Nigel doesn't really wrestle like a heel here. You know, he's chasing deranged to the back. Everyone is. And like, he's just, he's just working a match. Like he's, he's, um, he's just he's just a guy like it's nobody's really putting their best feet forward spanky has a haircut by the way like a short haircut i guess maybe that's wwe related like maybe wwe wanted him to get one because the timing is interesting right um Mm. but um but otherwise yeah there's just not much to the match like the the final sequence um like um um, deranged hits a, a springboard ddt and then they do a a tower of doom spot where nigel powerbombs deranged who superplexes asriel into spanky and i think that was actually unintentional i don't think asriel was supposed to go into spanky and then spanky just pops up so he does, doesn't really sell it hits the slice bread on nigel then asriel hits a cobra cutch Cobra clutch backbreaker on Spanky. Then Derange goes for a West Coast pop, but Azriel tries to reverse that into an electric chair. Spanky stops that with a super kick to Azriel and then hits the slice bread on Deranged for the win. Um that last like sequence was all right, but it was like the final like I don't know 45 seconds of the match. The rest of it was just kind of like plotting and the crowd was quiet and just I don't know, I just felt it was pretty disappointing. It wasn't smooth, not good crowd reactions. I thought kind of mediocre
0: you know i feel like i'm barely above you on this match but i feel like the difference is i just feel this the way about this match i feel about most four corner matches where you you it feels like you were expecting something better just based on the talent but i've seen so many of these four corner matches where the talent was so good and it just turns out to be a match of this quality of like a two and three quarter star match yeah i think I, i
1: i would rate this like way lower than that
0: Oh okay, wow! See, I, like, I one, think like, like one star, one and a half stars, maybe. Wow! See, I think the action is, is decent here. It's just it doesn't really. It, it, it. I wrote in my notes. I think the same thing I write for a lot of these four corner matches, which is it's like it's decent action that doesn't really go anywhere. There's a couple dives. There's a scrambling and somewhat exciting and sloppy four guys in the ring doing stuff at the finish section, and it, it, as always with these matches, almost always. I almost always come away from a match with this kind of lineup saying, "I would have rather seen a singles match with any two of these guys than what they gave to me here." Like this always feels like this is another one of those four ways where it feels like less than the sum of its parts. And before I get to my thoughts of match on the match map, other than that, I just want to say. I am going to clip you saying, um, I, I really grew to love the Philadelphia National Guard. I'm just going to send that. I'm going to cut out the armory part and you <laughs> will be used in military recruitment Oh, man. you ask? Matt Feuerstein says, I really grew to love the Philadelphia National you're gonna,
1: Guard. You're ru- going to ruin my Twitter left credibility? Is that what you're going to do?
0: <laughs> Enroll today, folks. But – um, so – yeah, yeah, there was a little bit of sloppiness. You you mentioned some of the 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 highlights. Um there was I, I did like Deranged did a couple cool satellite head scissor spots. Like there was one where he does the satellite head scissor, but he kind of turns it into a submission where he's kind of clamped around the guy's head and grabbing an arm or something. And then Asriel spins him around in the other direction and then drops him into like a backbreaker, which I thought was kind of neat. Um, Spanky sells it, gets his leg worked on. He sells it decently. He does a stinger splash, which it was just, hey, it's Spanky doing a stinger splash. Um I guess my biggest takeaway from this match – well, one, Nigel barely does anything in this match for the first 10 minutes, which was a kind of disappointing because I like Nigel. But also I guess my biggest takeaway was Deranged just the guy here that like – Deranged is almost on his way out of the company, and it felt like this match was all about him. Like, I think just his natural charisma, even though he didn't do necessarily anything special, like, just within the opening minutes, the match becomes all about, like, Spanky and Nigel especially, but also Azriel. like you said, chasing him to the back, like, just desperately wanting to get their hands on him, because he's just so good at being, like, an annoying little shit, and I just thought, like, you know, we're, we're fans of Deranged on through the years. There, there was untapped potential for him, either in Ring of Honor or somewhere else, because he did have a, a good charisma that I think could have worked in a lot of different ways in a lot of different places. And again, the fact that he's in a match with this level of talent, not getting a push, and somehow it still felt like he was the focus of the match. I, I think that says something for him. Um, And Matt, my favorite... um. Highlight of this match. though, my last note is, there is a moment. This is, this is this should tell you the quality of this match, and this is my favorite spot. But there is a moment where Azriel gets whipped into the ropes, and Deranged is on the apron. He's an illegal man. He does a blind tag where he just like slaps um. Asriel on the back as he hits the ropes and Asriel who doesn't see it it's almost as if he does not know it's a blind tag like he thinks maybe like Durange just hit him with a spot because he sells this blind tag like it's a huge strike like he drops to his knees and grabs his head it was just a blind tag but he's, he must have thought <laughs> oh like did derange hit me with a move oh shit I gotta sell it and it's like no, no it was just a tag but to me like that's the most memorable spot of this match so that's probably not a great sign
1: no it is not um, <laughs>
0: So next we cut to something that was memorable for not good reasons. We cut to Gary Michael Capetta in the ring. He tells us he needs to address the controversy regarding Prince Nana's recent treatment of Jade Chung. And he says he has a ruling from Ring of Honor to tell him about. So Nana and Jade at this point come to the ring. Nana's in a fancy new sparkly sequin covered jacket with a big butterfly in the back. Very, very fancy. Uh I, I don't know why there's a butterfly on it, but there is. Um... Gary tells Nana that his actions towards Jade are disgusting and ring of honor agrees with him from this moment on Nana cannot pull her hair. He can't tug her around by the arm and he can't physically abuse her in any way, which you would hope would just have been a lot to begin with. This gets some cheers in the crowd, but also some booze, which ooh, tugging my collar there. Um, Gary says, if Nana does not abide by this, the entire embassy will be fired from ring of honor. Nana calls Gary an old douchebag, but says he will abide by these new rules. Nana then tells Jade that he made her who she is, but if she wants to leave a legacy that is going to build with the embassy. She can go back to Thailand where she's from, which I thought was weird because Nana already said on a different show that she actually was from Vietnam. So Nana can't even remember his fake storyline. Anyway, um, Nana asks her if she wants to go back to a little hutch where she's a babysitter to her mom's 11 other kids. Nana says he'll buy her a ticket if that's what she wants. Jay grabs the mic and she says, you know, he's right. Things at home are really bad and I'll stay with the embassy. And then the fans actually cheerless. They they, they like that she's going to stay with Nana. Nana says she did the right thing and he touches her cheek. He then brings out Killer Cruel who has a piece of clothing for her that will cover her from head to toe so no one can see her body. And this Now this draws booze from the cross they don't like this
1: this got this got the most booze of anything that was happening in this segment was when they covered her up
0: nana isn't happy but i mean jade isn't happy but nana gets in her face he threatens to send her home they wrap this large sheet of cloth around her and just seem to affix it to her like by like giant like grocery bag clips or something it looks like they're just clipping it so it stays wrapped around her. It's not even really looking like a piece of clo- uh, clothing more than like just a piece of cloth. But uh, after that, they then pull out a dog collar and a leash. Uh, Gary, at this point, tries to object to this, but Nana gets in his face. Gary then says, I can't stand this more. I'm out of here. And he, but, but on his way out of the ring, he reminds Nana that if he lays a hand on Jade, he's done. Gary leaves his crawl, then puts the leash on Ch- Jay Chung. Uh, Nana asks her to open the ropes for him and Krull to get leave the ring, but she's on one of those kind of dog leashes where if you don't press the button, the, the leash doesn't let out more, so she tries to walk, but like the leash is too short, and she like gets tugged on and hurts herself. Yeah, well, the, well, I, just,
1: I just want to just correct you that, like, it, was an, it was an intentional point of Nana telling Chunk to walk forward so he could intentionally pull it back, like it wasn't yeah. like an accident like he he pulled, he pulled on it.
0: Yeah, that that's a good clarification. Absolutely. And then at that point, the crowd chants asshole to end the segment. So before we talk about it, um, the Observer had a little f- thing from the notes to talk about this. Dave wrote, they tried to do an angle apparently playing off the Hassan controversy when Gary Capetta came out and told Prince Nana that Ring of Honor told Nana he could no longer put his hands on Jade Chung or he'd be fired. So they got one of those long dog leashes you control by punching a button, and he put her on a leash, said to be equivalent to a diva search segment. <laughs> I like, it. That's like that. That's like – that's – I guess shows you maybe how bad the defense. Honestly, Matt, I think this is worse than the defuser segment, but that's just me. I,
1: I um, don't really see how this was a play on the Muhammad Hassan. I
0: story. don't know either. Um, if just anything controversial at this point was supposed to be a play on that, but I mean that clearly isn't. It's it's its own thing. Yeah. Um, you know these segments we've talked about a lot. They're gross. I think the thing that always makes these things segments worse is when the crowd is kind of. Playing into the worst instincts, so like you know, like you said, they're, they're only really mad when the th- chance to see Chung scantily clad is put in jeopardy. They're actually kind of into it. See, at least some, not all of the crowd, but some of the crowd seems to be kind of into. Her be, her current role as being abused by Prince Nana. I guess there were some boos, but there were also some. I mean, some cheers when you know Gary told her he couldn't do the tour anymore. But there were some people in that crowd. I'm sure not you, Matt, who who booed. Who were like, "No, we like this. You're ruining our fun thing." But yeah, yeah.
1: yeah I mean, this was. I mean, to me, this was the worst one yet. Like. They, uh, you know, it's just horrible. I mean, like, you, like, you can appreciate it, at least that, like, the ROH is making it out that this was something that they were appalled by, but, yeah, I think that they knew how the crowd was going to react to this, because it was 2005 and it was an indie crowd, you know, like, that they were going to cheer the worst things. They were going to cheer the dog collar, which they did. That they were going to boo her being covered up, which they did you know Nana leading into the racist aspect by making up this whole thing about Thailand and the little huts and the grandma having a level le, 11 kids and she's the official babysitter like you know that's clearly just racist right and then yeah. the 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 violent yanking of chung by the dog collar um yeah it was just and and then like you said, the crowd reaction. And, he, and Nana says these gross things, like he says, like ROH officials won't let me be the lion that I am with my ladies. And he and he and he calls um, Jay Chung a little girl as my Cruel covers her up and you know calls the leash the royal leash. Like it's just like yeah, it's it's. I mean, yeah. At the end, he gets an asshole chant at the very least. You know, like one mm-hmm. minor saving grace. But like yeah. It's I mean, you know, you described it. That says it all. Like it, it was horrible. Can't wait for this whole thing to be over.
0: Yeah. I mean, we've talked about this cast kind of stuff so much. I'm sure we'll talk about it again in the future. So I guess we'll yeah. let's just move on. We got other things to talk about on this show. Um the Ring of Honor tag team title match, BJ Whitmer and Jimmy Jacobs regained the Ring of Honor tag team titles when they defeated the carnage crew of Logan and DeVito in 9 minutes, 22 seconds, when Whitmer pinned DeVito after a powerbomb, super contra code combo. Um, <clears throat> the weird thing I thought at first was this started with a... Uh Jimmy Jacobs and Whitmer jumping the carnage crew from behind when they were like just posing in their entrance, which I felt like it's kind of a heel move. But yet when you watch the, how the matches worked, it's the carnage crew that's doing the heel stuff. Like they're kind of yelling at the crowd. They're breaking up like runs of offense with eye gouges. So I thought that was a little bit weird. It's not like, you know, the carnage crew had really wronged them in any way other than just, they beat them for the tag titles, but they didn't cheat to do it. I don't think, um, as for, as for the match, um, I – so in a lot of ways, I felt like it was kind of similar to the first match in the sense where I felt like to Whitmer and Jacobs, they were wrestling just like a standard mid-undercard tag match. It wasn't that special, but I felt like there were certain – there was a handful of spots from the Carnage crew where you could tell they were really going all out because this was their big moment. So like there's – um there's things they broke out that you either don't see from the room or rarely see. So like we get a super flex flying elbow drop combo where one does a super flex. One does a flying elbow drop. Uh, Loke does a goddamn like sent on bomb, the, the the friggin forward flip, which I thought was impressive. You know, with his, he's back to have, having gained some weight. Um, DeVito pulls out his big fat guy, moonsault. Uh, DeVito does the thing where he backdrops an opponent into Loke, who grabs a midair, does the sit out power bomb. Um, there's also a nice callback from their title change match where uh, the Carnage crew set Jacobs up for another Doomsday Device type move, but this time instead of taking the Doomsday Device dropkick, or look like this time they're going for a Doomsday Device clothesline, um, Jimmy uh, rolls it into a victory roll, and uh, so DeVito completely misses the clothesline. So I thought that was a nice playoff of the last match. And overall, I thought this was a very standard middle of the road kind of undercard tag match. But those few spots, I think were memorable and cool enough that I would put this like just barely at three stars, which is probably higher than a lot of people would rate this. I saw some live reports saying, Oh, this was a bad match. I think it was just an average mid card tag match with a few neat spots in my opinion. Um, and finally, Matt, I would just say I think the my biggest takeaway from this match, though, was CM Punk's commentary. You, you talked about in the first match. I felt in this match it bordered on, like, outright just shitting on the guys in not a fun heel way. Like, you know, Punk had this problem sometimes where, where he was good on commentary at some points. And I feel like at some points he wasn't <clears> – <throat> when he was a heel, sometimes he would spend so much time talking about his own angles, which I realize – that's why I think generally active wrestlers shouldn't be dedicated color commentary guys because you have two masters to serve. You know, you have to do – normally a commentator's job is just to put over the matches. But if you're also an active wrestler, you have to also have to play to your character and do the say the things your character would say. And, you know, CM Punk at this point wouldn't be interested in calling a random undercard match. He wouldn't be interested in putting over Loke and DeVito. But if you listen to the commentary of this match, he just is merciless to these guys to the point where it's almost like – it almost feels too real to me. And For all I know, it's Punk just having a good time. But man, he really shits on everyone in this match. And uh, anyway, what do you think? Matt?
1: Yeah, well, just for like – so just to give people an example of what you're talking about, he makes fun of Jimmy Jacobs for wearing glitter lipstick. And X like, that's his choice. And Punk calls him a woman. Punk calls uh, Jacobs a woman. And at one point, he says um, – let me see if I can actually find this line um, – uh, Prezak talks about nursing an injury and Punk says, speaking of nursing, do you think if you squeeze Loke's boobs, they'd give milk? <laughs> that is what CM Punk says in this match. He also um, talks to – he says if you stare at Whitmer – and listen closely. You can hear the banjos playing in his head. And then he sings the deliverance theme. That one was kind of funny.
0: No, but um, that, that made me laugh. <laughs> yeah. That was good.
1: I mean, listen, as bad as that nursing thing is, I did appreciate the transition of speaking of nursing. Like, I, I, I you know, always appreciate a good transition. Um That's probably the best thing I could say about it. Um, as far as the match, I, I agree with you that it was the best match of the show so far, as in better than the opener. But I... Definitely think it was worse than the first match between these two. Um, if for no other reason than the crowd reactions alone. You know, the crowd was pretty not into this. And they were pretty into the one at the at Escape from New York. Um I think that match also had a bit of a more propulsive energy. Like there was like there was like there was the brawling elements and then they closed into the wrestling part of it, and then there was a table bump and all that stuff. It felt like it just had forward momentum, whereas this one was kind of slow. Yes, they do um, attack the Carnage crew before the bell, but, you know, I think that's just a matter of, um, tag team champions being angry that they lost the tag team titles, and I, that, that was how I took it, but, um, as far as the, uh, the match itself, yeah, it was, it just felt slow, like, you know, it's the second match in a row, and again, quiet crowd always makes a match feel a little bit less energetic, but, um, you know, they have a spot where, um, loke and whitmer do like wrestling like wrestling on the mat and like let's just say it's not brian danielson but um <laughs> but loke does get you know a Saito suplex and um you know you met you mentioned some of the big spots um with the you know, the moon salt and this and this the rolling senton off the top um and and you know, I, I noticed they, they won the match with the with the Contra Code power bomb combo instead of the uh, the doomsday rana. I guess maybe it was just that's a hard move to hit on certain guys. But um yeah, I, I just felt like a not much doing match. Bland, I guess is what I would say. A bland match. Um but it held together alright. It wasn't terrible. I wouldn't give it three stars. Definitely not. But it was um it wasn't bad. It just was was bland and boring. <laughs>
0: Uh, the Observer wrote, uh, BJ Whitmer and Jimmy Jacobs regained the tagged house from the Carnage crew in a bad brawl that ended when Jacobs pinned DeVito after a double-team powerbomb Shiranui off the top rope. The tag title change back and forth was done because Sapolsky felt some of the undercard booking had gotten predictable. Basically, he figured nobody thought the Carnage crew could win the belts, so to shake things up, they did.
1: And I also want to add, at the, the last thing the praise Act says – is you can always say that the Carnage Crew did hold ROH Tag Team gold. And to me, like, that felt like the real point. Like, Carnage Crew was going to be leaving the company pretty soon, and it's like, you know what? Let them say they were the champs. And I really yeah. do feel like that was a par- big part of the motivation for this, even though that's not what Meltzer reported. I think that was a big part of it. It was like the gold watch.
0: Yeah. yeah. It's like, hey, you know, you did you, – you know – Thank you for your service. You know, Loke worked backstage, I think, helping out a lot, you know, so, you know, give them a little thank you quickly. And at this point, the tag titles were not very important, so you could afford to just kind of, you know, you couldn't afford to do that with, like, the world title. But with the tag titles, you can give someone this quick little thing. And I think the Carnage
1: crew should have had a brief run with the world title at this
0: point. <laughs> De- Loke with the pure title, DeVito with the world title. Exactly. Masada with- Masada, and Justin Credible with the tag titles. Ooh. Um, no, Danny Daniels in Masada. <laughs> yeah. um, next up, we have the Rottweilers of Homicide, Low Key, and Ricky Reyes, with Julius Smokes defeating James Gibson, Jay Lethal, and Samoa Joe in 23 minutes, 33 seconds. When Homicide pinned Gibson after he hit him with a lariat with a chain wrapped around his arm that he was given to by Grim Reefer, who yet again will not be named by the Ring of Honor commentary. Um, Matt, it kind of tells you something. When, like, I think this match is a good I mean, a good symbol of how deep Ring of Honor's um, roster was when you can have low key Homicide, Samoa Joe, and James Gibson in, like, a random, almost throwaway six man tag, fourth from the top of a show. Like, that's how stacked the deep the roster was, where you could afford to just kind of bury these guys this deep in a match that wasn't going to be, like, a huge DVD or ticket mover. But what do you think about the actual match that happened? Some people I saw on live reports thought this was the best match of the entire show. What would you say?
1: Well, I mean, to be fair, one of the matches higher on the card than this. One of the participants was Fast Eddie, I'm just saying. Um, <laughs> but um, yeah, live, I actually also thought this was the best match on the show. It does not hold up to that level on video, at least not this many years later um but it did feel like that life and i guess i can get into maybe why later on but um yeah i thought it was a solid match but i feel like it was probably too long and um a bit disappointing given you know what you just said about the about the participants but solid there were good stories being told um at the beginning um As the Rottweilers were standing in the ring waiting for the baby faces, I don't know, for some reason this stood out to me. Some kid in the audience just yelled out, I'm a gangster, dude. I don't know why I found that so funny, but that, that you can, if you watch this match on DVD, you will hear the kid say that. Um, go back and watch it if you missed it, Trevor. Um, but, um, but it starts out with, um, You know, everybody's fighting all at once, no code of honor, and then Sinclair settles things down into a regular six-man, much to my chagrin because I have seen a Pier 6 six-man brawl in Philly a year later, and it turns out it's pretty good when they do that. Um, But this match, they did not do that. They ended up just working a... A match and you know doing things so this was ricky Reyes' first match back since another six man because he was in the trios tournament and romero has been back since then but reyes hasn't and now romero's gone and reyes is back and um you know he's uh he's doing all right but and the this match has by far the best crowd noise of any match so far but it's not like they're going crazy even for what appears to be a first time ever um matchup between Loki and james gibson like, I, I'm not sure if they wrestled anywhere, actually, besides this. And, you know, they, they do some cool stuff. They do a knuckle lock where Loki bridges to avoid the pin, and then Gibson, like, gets on top of him, and he's still bridging. And, you know, Loki chops Gibson, and it is very loud when he chops him. <laughs> um, and Loki plays like he's scared of Jay Lethal, which is a nice touch, because, you know, they they are still building the angle where Loki wants to pin Jay Lethal – I mean, uh, Lethal wants to pin Loki. And hit the dragon suplex on him. And, um, so Loki's acting scared, which, you know, that's sure, that's a good show of respect because, you know, I don't think it's easy to get Loki to agree to act scared of somebody. You know, like he, he does it for Samoa Joe to a point, but doing it for Jay Lethal, I think is actually a, um, a cool thing for him to do. I, I don't know if he would agree with that because I don't, I don't know that everyone, if that would be obvious that he would have done that at that time for somebody like Jay Lethal.
0: No, absolutely. Like Loki as a heel was willing. To like show more ass sometimes to some people, so to speak, you know, like sell a little bit bigger and be scared off like a more – like like you wouldn't – like I think some people that he – think he'll low-key just think, oh, it's low-key just being uh, – uh, uh, getting booed. But like he does change his act a fair bit.
1: Yeah, definitely. Um Joe and Lethal do that thing where they, Lethal sits on the top rope and holds Reyes upside down in like a tree of woe while Joe runs at him with the running boot. I really like that spot. That's a great tag team spot. And the baby faces hold the advantage for a while. The, the pace is pretty slow, but it's, 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 it's pretty entertaining at this point. And then the Rottweilers take over. They, they cut James Gibson off and they're doing pretty basic stuff, but it all looks pretty solid. Then they, uh, they double-team Lethal for a while and take back over on him. And even Smokes gets in some shots, and they choke him, and they do all this stuff. And uh, at one point, Reyes and Loki do consecutive like dropping of Lethal's stomach first over the top rope. And then Loki follows out with a big kick to Lethal's chest, which sends him to the outside. And then Smokes hits him with the bat and you know they they continue to work on lethal with camel clutches and they, they they one person gets a camel clutch and they tag the other guy in and he gets on a camel clutch so they're they're working over lethal's back i guess and um gibson and joe like they check on lethal and joe almost snaps when smokes calls him a fat ass which is <laughs> uh which is one of the uh, entertaining spots in the match and um Eventually, um, Lethal blocks a hot tag, hits a running suplex, gets the hot tag, I mean, blocks a homicide suplex, hits his own running suplex, gets the hot tag to Joe. And Joe comes in and does a lot of his big spots. And then Gibson comes in and becomes a Pier 6 brawl. It breaks down. Um, uh, Lethal does his big springboard back kick to uh, to Gibson when he has on a butterfly submission. Uh, Lethal hits a leg lariat and a gut buster on low-key. And then Lethal hits a big missile dropkick on Loki and yells, Dragon! But uh, Danielson was not there. He meant his dragon <laughs> suplex. Um, but Homicide cuts that off, and um, they go for the double-stop cop-killer, but Gibson breaks it up, and then Loki ends up jumping on Homicide by mistake. And there's this one really awkward spot where they try to – the baby faces try to whip all three rottweilers like irish whip them all at once but reyes is out of the ring he doesn't realize that like he's supposed to be in the ring for this uh for this irish whip so Mm -hmm. so they kind of like stall while joe goes to the outside and grabs reyes and then they get them all back in and they do the uh, they do the spot where all three get irish whipped and the reason that they had to do that was because they followed it with like a a trifecta simultaneous dive on all three rottweilers so I mean, I guess they really couldn't avoid having to save that spot, but it was awkward while they were waiting for it. And then uh, they do the oleo lay on Homicide, and then Gibson is in the ring. He's trying to do the Tiger Driver, but Smokes distracts. Grim Reefer, like you said, gives Homicide the chain, and then Homicide hits the chain lariat on Gibson, gets the win. Um, It was an okay heel finish, um, but there's going to be a lot of heel finishes on this show, and the match was long, and... It definitely could have been more action, I think, than it was. I feel like if they cut seven or eight minutes off of this match and just made it faster paced, it could have been a great match. As it was, it was just solid, but I don't think it was great.
0: Yeah, I would simultaneously call this the best match on the show so far and also a a fairly big disappointment. Like, simultaneously, both those things. I would say it's a good match, but with the talent involved – uh, it, it should have been just a freaking banger, and um, it wasn't. You know, I put that like three and a quarter stars. It, 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 it's like you said, it, it wasn't a fast paced match. I would say it's like a mid temple match where it's like always entertaining, but it's rarely thrilling. Like it, rarely, you don't you don't get any real lows, but you don't really get many super big highs either. Yeah, I would say. And, it's,
1: I would say it's never thrilling.
0: Yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I mean, I get, There's a okay. So I'll get to a thrill in a second, but um, I was going to ask you first, do you think a match like this – like one thing that's interesting about this era of Ring of Honor that I think that's different from the way indies kind of evolved afterwards was you would hear guys like Joe and Danielson talk about stuff like this about – I think there was at least on some shows – an effort for some of the undercard guys to try to not overshadow the matches that would come later. And I feel like if you look at the, where the Indies went like PWG and like the more modern era of PWG, it became more about fewer matches. And basically every match has like no limitations. They're just going to go crazy lengthy matches and try and steal the show. I feel like this is the – like, I watch this match and I go, if these guys really had their mindset to it, I really have a hard time believing they couldn't have done a better match than this. Not that this match was bad, but I just felt like this has to be them going, well, we're the fourth from the top, so let's not try and just do everything. But this is also one of those matches, Matt where I feel really bad because I go, oh, this match, you know, it's it's kind of disappointing. And then, like you, I noticed that spot where they're clearly – this was clearly a spot they had thought before the match because it's so – involves everybody where it's the three, the triple Irish whip leading to the triple dive. And like you said, it's crazy because everyone else is in position and Ricky Reyes just wanders aw- out of the ring and walks away. You can see Joe, like try and grab him and be like, "Shit, I have to go get this guy now? And I thought, man, disappointing match Ricky Reyes at it again. And I hate when this happens, Matt, when I feel this way. And then I read notes that's tell me that the guy was hurt. And that's why it was bad. Cause I'll read the note right now. Dave wrote in The Observer, Best match was said to be low-key and Ricky Reyes and Homicide over Samoa Joe and Gibson and Jay Lethal when Grim Reefer gave Homicide a chain and he clotheslined Gibson with it for the pin. This was a brutal match as both Reyes and Lethal got legit concussions. Reyes' concussion was so bad he was taken to the hospital because he didn't remember anything about the match or even know what city he was in excellent heat dave adds. um so i think it's clearly at that point and i think that i did not know at the time but looking back knowing that i think i know the spot reyes got concussed on because there is a if you talk about thrills there is a uranagi joe gives um reyes it's not his usual one from the corner where the guy's charging him in the corner. it's right in the middle of the ring and watching it as the match happened i thought boy that looks brutal um rather than taking it on his back um basically um, Reyes keeps rotating and takes it on his head. And I have to imagine that was probably where he got concussed. And yeah,
1: pr- probably. Although, you know, sometimes you find out like a concussion takes place on something that doesn't even look like anything. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, but but you're right. That makes the most sense.
0: But but uh, so clearly I feel bad now for even having that thought in my head. Like, oh, yeah. Reyes, what are you doing? Because that must have been, he probably, if he couldn't remember what city he was in, he probably couldn't remember any spot they had pre-planned. And he probably just, was wandering away because he's like, okay, I'm out of this part of the match, and Joe had to be like, shit, like, dude, remember, come back here. Um
1: So 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 they say that Loki also got concussion, but he didn't so have to lethal. go to the hospital? Jay Lethal. Oh Jay Lethal got concussed, but he didn't have to go to the hospital. No. So that's that I mean, that just shows how bad people were with concussions back then. Because you'd think if you have a concussion, you should go to the hospital, right?
0: Yeah, I mean we were still in the era which is sad where I feel like a lot of guys if the concussion like if you as long as you weren't as long as you knew what city you were in you you were not going to be or were knocked completely out. You know, you were considered to be just just walk it off, you know, work the next show, you know, don't need even need to go to the doctor, but um
1: but yes, that does explain a lot about like, you know, what maybe why the match could have been better, for sure.
0: Yeah. Um, I, I, I feel like this was a match where there was like a lot of little threads, but nothing ever really is, is focused on enough to become like a major focus that really would distinguish this match. Like there is some cheating with the batch on the outside the interference finish, but it it's not a huge amount to really become the story of the match. Like lethal does play face apparel for a little while, but it doesn't really become a major Plus of the match or or a long term focus, um, like you said, I think one of the highlights for me was getting to see Gibson and Low Key interact with each other. I would have really loved to have seen them have a full match because I think just they pair up really well in the sense that Low Key is great, at giving like really hard kicks and looking like he's kicking someone's ass and killing them, and Gibson's really great at selling. So I thought that would have been fun to see more of that. But again, we just get a taste of that here, um maybe my favorite moment of this match was again a commentary moment where after a dive I think that hits Loki or something this punk out of nowhere just randomly says I think Loki was crying and for some reason that just made me laugh like the idea that <laughs> like like punk just just you know you know punk knows Loki's image he's just I, I think I saw Loki cry I'm just I, I just thought that was pretty funny um it was also neat I I mean Loki broke out like the tidal wave or whatever kick where he does the big springboard like rotating kick off the ropes which you haven't seen him do for a while. Yeah,
1: to break but, up the uh the the choke, right? that or the butterfly yeah. submission, right?
0: Yeah. I wrote in my notes overall I said this was not hidden gem level, this was more like hidden cubic zirconia level. <laughs> um also Matt, do you think agree with Matt when he's I mean Dave when he wrote from the live notes excellent heat. I don't think this match had excellent heat. It was Fine. No. And like, I, in
1: fact, in fact, looking back now, because like I said, live, it did feel like the best match. It really did, like for a few reasons. But like looking back, every match that was on the show after this had better heat than this one did.
0: And I will say like Dave's report wasn't the only report I saw doing research of the show where people – you know, and like you said, live, you thought it was the best match too. I'll, I think a lot of people who were there live came away – from thinking this was the best match, but I will give a brief spoiler. I do not think this was the best match on the show i I, I will not tip my hand on what I think is the best match yet, but I think there's a better match on the show, maybe even two
1: can i tip but, can I tip my hand go oh, ahead one, I think every match that follows this was better than this one.
0: <laughs> you just had to top me Matt, but you know what I think there's a good case for that' we'll, we'll, we will explore our thoughts very quickly, but um We go backstage at this point with Gary Michael Capetta. He's holding a new issue of Entertainment Weekly and plugs big coverage of Ring of Honor in it, showing us a quick glance at a half-page article, and he just says, With Husker Du and Bob Mould. And I actually paused. I tried to find a good close-up zoom of this, and I could read like half of it. And I think Bob Mould from the – he used to work – obviously, people might know him from his seminal punk band Husker Du, his great solo career. I like Silver Age. Great album by Bob Mould. And Sugar. Yeah, great band there too. Uh, he was a wrestling fan. He used to work for, um, WCW for a brief time. He was even on, like, Wrestling Observer Live back in the day talking about it. I think he briefly had an article in Entertainment Weekly, maybe even just talking about wrestling. And it's funny, like, I couldn't make out much of the article when I, zo- when I, like, pop, freeze framed it, Matt. But what it was, he was talking about the Carnage True. Like, that was mostly what he's talking about, like, oh, you know, the Carnage True, like, they have a shirt that's says fat, dumb, and ugly, and blah, blah, blah. And I just thought to myself, like, could you imagine being Ring of Honor and you're like, we got we got a half page article in Entertainment Weekly and most of the article is about the carnage
1: group. Although I, I do want to say this. You that is not what their shirt says.
0: Fat, oh, yeah, dumb, and ugly, it's, it's fat it's fed drunk and pissed off. Jeez. <laughs> I'm sorry. Look, look, I see how much commentary gotten to me. I Matt, I have the right to pretend the shirt said that. Okay? Alright, you know what? You trump me. That that's that's right, you do. You have the right to pretend. I, can, okay. I cannot i cannot so- i cannot
1: argue that you evoked the 82nd amendment
0: <laughs> matt uh i mean I, I why am i apologizing to you Loke devito i'm sorry to you i i i thought your shirt said that i i do not think that i thought your shirt said that please <laughs> do not be angry at me please uh, He he
1: evoked for, the right to pretend you cannot say anything to him now <laughs> that's the law
0: Anyway, right now Gary then reveals he's not here to promote Entertainment Weekly and Ring of Honor's article in the magazine. He is there to he's there to be joined by Lacey's Angels. Lacey is there and with uh deranged and I believe Cloud I mean che- Cheech and uh Larange I mean LaRange. I G Matt, I am going <laughs> off the rails here. Uh you're so, you're so scared that the carnage crew is gonna come and get you. That would be – by the way, that would be an excellent portmanteau if Lacey Deranged ever dated, though, Larranged. <laughs> that would be great. That's true. My, my, that's my favorite ZZ Top song, Matt, LaRange. um I mean, Lacey Lace berates Deranged for losing again. She, she says she's going to have to put him on suspension for that. Gary says he's going to read his Entertainment Weekly, and they need to figure this out, so – Gary really entered into his entertainment weekly. Um
1: And this is going to build to a uh, two personnel changes in Lacey's Angels that will be uh, that will have implications in angles for years to come.
0: <laughs> the the bottom third of the card really getting an overhaul in the in the coming shows. You know, between yes, yes. you know it, El Generico and Kevin Steen basically getting the kibosh on their little tryout run and and Lacey's Angels changing and, uh, you know, Ring crew Express being phased down to kind of showing up only semi-occasionally. Carnes Crew almost done. Like a lot of stuff is changing.
1: but And they're all being replaced just by Claudio Castagnoli. It's just just <laughs> him. He replaces like all seven of those guys.
0: Uh, he, he's almost as much of a talent – I mean – it's hard to quantify talent. Would you say the talent of those seven combined make up one, Claudio? I mean, he is—he yes. is very talented, but uh, he is also tall. But uh, tall and next talented. Up. <laughs>
1: talented. He's talented. Just he's talented with two L's.
0: Larranged. Um, <laughs> next up, Alex Shelley comes out. He steps in the ring and grabs the mic as the crowd chants his name. So again, you know, this is this is our, our last chance to really savor the Alex Shelley babyface run that could have been because this is like yet another show where he gets a really nice baby face reaction um shelley says for months now he's been going around and making apologies but it's gotten him absolutely nothing but he then catches himself wells he says it got me delirious as a tag partner for a match a guy who thinks he's a lizard at this point someone in the crowd must have said like he is a lizard because he then like very earnestly he says like no he's he's not a lizard like he says to someone in the crowd (laughs) um Shelley says he can Shelley says that he can live with his decisions though and points out this is the wrestling business where the goal is monetary gain to earn as much money as possible. Shelley says with that in mind he didn't sell out people he bought in. At this point, the embassy's theme kicks in. Shelly does this little pose where he kind of makes like a little pyramid of of his hands above his head, and we hear a couple fans groan as they realize what this means. The entire embassy of Prince Nana, Jade Chung, Fast Eddie, Mike Krull, and Jimmy Rave all come out. Nana hugs Shelly, the crowd boos, Rave's wearing jeans and a red T-shirt, his fists are taped so he's already ready for his street fight that comes later in the show, um... At this point, uh Rave grabs the mic and he tells Shelly that he forgave Shelly for what he d- did in the past and says that Shelly taught him that nice guys finish last. He welcomes Shelly to the embassy. Nana tells Rave to go back to the limo and enjoy, enjoy the air conditioning for his match later tonight. I like the idea that, like, you know... The guard armory. The only way you're gonna get air conditioning is if you have a limo in in the parking lot. And
1: uh, (laughs) the laugh of luxury. Just sit in the car. (laughs)
0: Um, And that brings us to the match, which is. But I guess before we go to the match, I guess we should just talk about the turn, which is. You know, they had built this match of that. You know that Alex Shelley had a surprise mystery partner for the show, and obviously the, the mystery partner turns out to be Fast Eddie, which you would not yeah. be disappoint if it's not paired with the right. the heel turn.
1: I was going to make that that joke myself, just like yeah. So he joins the embassy, which is the big angle, big angle. But of course, it buries the lead that the mystery partner is Fast Eddie, which I know it sounds like I'm making fun of Fast Eddie, but let's we I think he would even agree he was not a big star in ROH. They never no. let him get to that level. Um, so that is a less impressive mystery partner than delirious um in terms of star power but yes it was paired with this big angle which is alex shelley is a heel he is in the embassy i think my reaction when i saw it live was sort of like uh this doesn't feel that great to me like you know but i think it it turned out okay um yeah. but i think that i was pretty into the idea of shelley as a baby face and i think i was disappointed that he wouldn't be anymore um i, I th- think that was my initial reaction
0: yeah me too and I I also feel like it's kind of weird because I feel like there is a great potential angle in saying um, – like on paper, there's an idea of Alex Shelley gets rejected by his own heel stable. He spends literally half a year trying to get like people to forgive him, trying to get anyone to kind of – be on his side fighting these guys and finally he just gives up and says fuck it you know all these i tried no one would stand by in my on my side and you know what you've left me no choice i'm going to join with these heels because you know what they'll have me you know and but instead if you listen to the commentary for the match that follows they're very into you know oh he's just treat him as a heel like no which i I mean he is the point is to make him a heel obviously so that that's what they have to do but i found it was kind of weird because like I had sympathy for him because it was kind of like, you know, commentary keeps acting like, I can't believe, you know, Alex Shelley sold out. He sold out for the money at Prince Nana. But like, the way this storyline had been played out it was like he had no choice like literally on this show his promo is him having to change in the stairwell because the wrestlers six months later still won't let him like even in the locker room so what was he supposed to do like how many shows have we seen where he gets like the crap beat out of him by generation next and no one helps him like was he supposed to just keep being completely alone and reject the only people in the company that would help him like and and i felt so in that sense It kind of worked against what they were trying to do, like the booking.
1: I will say this. I will say this. I think one thing they could have done a little better, besides what you said, is they could have um, put some emphasis on this angle on the recent shows right before this. Like you know, since it's been so long, he was gone for a month. You know, they they kind of um, took focus off of that whole alex shelley wants forgiveness storyline really since nowhere to run they haven't talked much about it and then he comes back and he just runs out of the crowd and so they should have done some sort of angle to make people to remind people like he's trying but he's rejected and then like it's sort of so this 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 promo makes a little bit more contextual sense but you're right like the overall story that they told is is pretty good honestly like like the idea that he's not accepted so he goes to the people that will accept him who are bad guys Um, But they just didn't quite tell the story with the sense of, like, relevance to this moment that they could have. But, you know, it's hard to time things perfectly, right? But – and I think the angle is good. But you're right. What they should have done is played up the story better on commentary.
0: I guess the problem is – that story gives makes him sympathetic and you don't want the uh, ring of honor's booking they don't want him to be sympathetic they want generation x to be the faces now and him to be the heel if you play out that story it, you know, it makes him in a way almost look out to be the good guy. So instead, they go really into that he's just a sellout, the generic. He's a sellout. He sold out for the money. You know, he's all about the cash kind of stuff. Which, well, again, it, it just feels different. Not of a piece with the way he had been booked prior to this.
1: Well, they could have made that work too, because they and even as a heel, because they could have said like, "Oh, this guy's a snake in the grass." You know, like yes. like he, the people were right not to trust him because he was always ready to sell out at the drop of a hat. And like they didn't go really that direction either,
0: you know. You know what would have worked in that on that vein? Not that we're not we're basically doing fantasy booking now. But if they had done like like you were saying, they needed to reemphasize this angle before this happened. If they had just even had one show where someone from the back, like a, a beloved babyface, finally trusted him, like it, let's say this was like on one of the, on a show like this where the turn happened, it was him teaming with AJ Styles against two people and then he turns on them because generation i mean the embassy wants him to or whatever like you know because jimmy rave want you know and that would make sense because jimmy rave is feeling with aj styles like that wouldn't really bring it all together because then you could say just yes you could feel sympathy because everyone was betraying him but then he shows like you said his true colors because the second someone trusts him then he sells out because it just shows you that he was always that kind of asshole. Yeah. uh, You know, he didn't deserve redemption. That would have been good. Yeah. But no one ever forgives him. So you just kind of feel sorry for him. But that, that brings us to the match of the embassy of Alex Shelley and fast Eddie defeated generation next of Austin Aries and Roderick strong in 12 minutes, 52 seconds. When Shelley pinned Aries after Jimmy Wraith hit him with a couple chair shots and a chair assisted running knee. Um, this I, I thought this was a fun match I I um there is a frantic oh not not quite frantic pace or breakneck pace but a like a pretty fairly fast urgent pace to the opening and closing portions of this match and to me This match is fun just because it is fun to see Roderick Strong and Austin Aries run around and hit big moves and do their offense to people. And I thought they did that really well here. I thought both those guys looked really good here. Like, this is a match where early on, they're like, in the opening minutes they're just doing like the heart attack clothesline. Like, that's where the the joys of this match come from, stuff like that, where it's just like, oh, this is cool. Um, The first few minutes, in fact, of the match are them just dominating Fast Eddie, and it's really fun just to see them get the run of the match to d- hit their offense. Um, the middle of the match sees them slow it down a bit. So Aries can play face and Harold in peril, which I thought was interesting because it kind of shows you where these two were at in their careers at this moment. In ring of honor, where it was actually, you know, Aries, the former world champion is the one that's taking the beating to give Roderick strong, strong, the chance to shine with the hot tag rather than you'd normally expect. Maybe the other way around, but it kind of shows you where ring of honors focus, I think was at this point. Um, Fast Eddie, I thought, looked solid at points. He really lays into Roddy with chops of his own. He does his usual offense, which involves a lot of moves that drop guys over the back of his, over his knee. But I also felt like Fast Eddie also, he, he he's a guy where he constantly, in a lot of his matches, he just, his timing and positioning is just a little bit off. A lot of times it doesn't result in outright botches, but there, are, but there are just things where guys where moves don't hit perfectly or guys have to wait an extra second for him to be in the right spot. There's like a funny moment in this match where Ares is like, you know, getting beat down. He's in the heels corner and he's trying to fight both um Eddie and Rave off at once. And Eddie's standing on the apron at points and, Ares keeps trying to throw these, like, blind back elbows to Fast Eddie, and at times, Eddie's not on the apron, or he's not in the right position, and Ares, like, keeps throwing them, and he's, like, never in the right position, and it was just kind of, to me, I, that kind of summed up, whether, I don't even know if that was, you know, Eddie's fault, but kind of, to me, summed up Fast Eddie's Ring of Honor run, where he's just never quite where you want him to be, it feels like.
1: I mean, like, um, and I, I know this is, like, a, a running joke, but, like, he is legally blind, and
0: exactly, I I, I yeah. mean
1: that seriously, you know, like... It, it probably does affect some of that stuff.
0: Yeah, exactly. Um, I felt like Shelley. you know, he was more of the glue guy in this match. He's the guy who slows it down in the middle section. He's the one guy here I felt that was really playing a character where he's kind of talking shit and, and being kind of a smarmy dick, you know, really selling, you know, the heel role he's just taken back. Um but overall, I thought this was a good tag match. I, I I don't know if I would put this as better than the six-man. You know what? I would say – you know what? It is because it was more fun, I would say. I, it, it's, it's less – it's shorter. It's more fun. I would say it's a little bit better than the six-man and, and an enjoyable tag. Not Nothing special, but you know it's the kind of match in the middle of a card. You're perfectly happy to get a match of this quality, I would say.
1: Yeah, I'm pretty much 100 percent agreement with you about this match. Every – aspect of it like and even with shelly like you know i really did like him as a face but he does seem invigorated here you know working that character working on ari's neck and taunting him like he, he feels like he has more purpose now which which i appreciate now live i didn't like the match as much because i think i was just so newly um entranced by roh that i was just really sucked in by the idea of clean finishes and this is was the second heel like cheating finish of the mat of the of the show like in a row and i was just like that really disrupted any enjoyment i would have had from the match like and that'll be a trend i think for the rest of the show but like you know now that doesn't bother me at all you know given like the big picture and i yeah i i just enjoyed how good aries and especially strong's offense looked i really did think eddie looked pretty good like when he was doing offense at the very least you know i yeah. was i was impressed by the fact that he kind of held his own with Roderick when it came to chops i would not have expected that and yeah it, just, it was just had a lot of cool athletic moves and a good story to it and a good pace and the heel finish didn't bother me at all at this point it actually i think enhanced the match um so i think this was quite a good match
0: and I, and I do want to say as much as we talked about how like maybe the, the – we would have liked to have seen a, a better face run for Shelley and maybe this angle we, we just set out ways that could have been done better, I will say it, from the aspect of the embassy – if you're just looking at the aspect of embassy and not Alex Shelley, like putting Alec Shelley in there was a great move. Like it finally, I, I, it's really part of the transition. You know, we're going to see M, uh, abyss coming very soon to ring of honor and joining the embassy. Like basically this is the start of the embassy going from like kind of a joke, heel like group where it's basically a giant entourage for Jimmy Rave, who's the only one that's really taken seriously to more of a serious heel stable where there's multiple guys in there that are really good wrestlers that you can take seriously, that will be booked seriously. And in that sense, like it's, it's a huge boon for, um, the embassy. And I know Jimmy Rave really liked working with Elk Shelley. And I think he said like Elk Shelley really had a lot of fun working with the embassy. So uh, instead of just having fun, I'm sure these guys probably were loved that they got to work together like this. Yeah,
1: and um you know like by the end of this match you see all the Embassy posing and it's Shelly and and Rave and Jay Chung and Nana and Fast Eddie and Mike Cruel and it's like oh this this gang. But then like Cruel and Eddie are gone like in a gif. Like I don't know yeah. how soon they're gone, but pretty soon. And you know by the time they get to the Generation Next versus Embassy matches, it's instead of Cruel and Eddie in there. It's Abyss and Nana himself who are in those matches. So they definitely Shelley's um, Shelly's entry definitely made them feel like they had license to get rid of some of like the pure preliminary guys yeah. in the, in these in the stable and just make it much more of a uh, a top star stable.
0: So after the match, the rest of the Embassy put the boots to Aries until AJ Styles, who's also in street clothes, jeans and a t shirt, runs to the ring, fist tapes up. Uh, he fights them off. Rave bails to the floor. AJ demands that their match start right now, and we get the Philadelphia street fight. Jimmy Rave defeated AJ Styles via pinfall in 12 minutes, 51 seconds after he hit a Styles clash. But before that, what set up the Styles clash was Alex Shelley running in for interference, hitting AJ Styles with the shell shock. Um Matt, this was the semi-main event, and our third straight match in a row where uh, heel interference from the outside interference led to the finish. Which uh, you, you know, you talked about live. You didn't like that interference. I will say, I got some quotes from live reports and other stuff. That was the big talk. There were some people that were very mad that Ring of Honor went this heel outside interference heavy on this show. But I mean, what do you think of? I mean, there's way more to talk about this than just. The interference. Like, what do you think about this match?
1: Well, I, I definitely was on that page of being really mad about all the outside interference and stuff when I watched it live. And you know, when you first see something like this, you don't know if it's like, oh, does their booking suck now? You know. <laughs> and then, like, once you, you keep watching and you realize that this wasn't going to be a trend and it was like all to serve a bigger purpose, it becomes a lot less annoying. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Um, but at the time, it was just like, what the fuck? <laughs> like, you're not supposed to be doing this. Like. um but as far as the match, like, I thought the match was pretty good. Like, I, I, there were some downsides. Um, don't get me wrong. The downsides were, first of all, AJ Styles' punches. AJ Styles has a lot of really good offense. In 2005, his punches were not among his good offense. Like, he was, he had pretty, I couldn't believe how bad his punches were, actually. Rave's punches looked much, much, much better than AJ's. And AJ, got better when it came to that but it it was just surprising because he did everything so well and like he did not punch well um if you go back and look i i that was strange to me the other the other negative were there was a lot of brawling in the crowd and i don't think they did a good job of lighting the crowd Mm. brawl like there were there were some spots where like both guys like there was a spot where they were fighting in the crowd and styles and they were both standing on chairs and styles was trying to suplex rave onto a row of chairs um but rave blocked and and ddt'd um, uh, styles and the only reason i know it was a ddt was because prazak said it because like between the darkness and the glare um i i could not tell what the move was like it looked almost like a monkey flip or like some other weird thing but they said it was a ddt so like 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 as i guess when the camera dropped down for the move like you could see the glare of like the stage light like mm-hmm. uh, it was weird but and there was a lot of issues with darkness when they were fighting in the crowd but that said this match started with good intensity um you know aj attacked from the beginning violently drove raven to the guardrail repeatedly uh which looked very brutal um, and then he just picked up Rave and pressed him into the crowd. And they fought by the merchandise stand. They fought onto the merchandise stand. Um, they eventually got back to the ring. And um, and there was a spot where AJ, like he slipped and Rave hit a knee strike for the first two count of the match. And like the way they did the slip, it almost looked like a real slip, but then Rave recovered so fast and did such a good recovery that I almost think it was intentional. Um, and then at one point, rave aj headbutted rave like a bajillion times that took me out of the match a little bit i will say cuz it's just like he headbutted him a lot and and he barely sold it and he didn't like it's like I don't know. That's too many headbutts to be plausible.
0: Um that's I said, was going to ask you. Did you think that was cor- – I saw some people – Like I couldn't decide if that was corny or not. Like for those who haven't seen the match, AJ grabs Rave and basically they like walk around the ring and he gives like 30 little mini headbutts. And part of me thought it was kind of cool and part of me thought it looked kind of dumb. And I saw some people in reviews online. They thought it looked great. Some people thought, oh, this looks really corny. And it, it's the move that Rave blades on. So yeah, did I- you – how would it look did you think it looked good or did you think this looks kind of dumb
1: i thought it looked kind of dumb but i was okay with like that that you know like at least ray bled on that but i almost think like aj should have two like if you're gonna headbutt a guy that many times right like i mean it's ridiculous anyway like it's impossible it's impossible to headbutt a guy that many times you know but like if you're doing real headbutts um but like yeah i don't know i mean it's it's a match like it wasn't the most egregious thing i've seen you know um and then at one point, they're fighting on the apron, and AJ goes for a Russian legs, leg sweep through the timekeeper's table, but Rave blocks it. So AJ just belly-to-back suplexes him through it, and he gets a dangerous call by Gabe, and I thought it was a very good-looking suplex. Like, they really went flush through that table. I thought that was a pretty cool spot, honestly. Um, not too contrived. Um, and then um, – Back in the ring, AJ set up a chair. Goes for the Styles class. Ray fought out, backdropped AJ on the chair, and then hits a pretty brutal curb stomp onto AJ into the chair. And I know you um, you tweeted this and said, "Take that, Super Dragon." This this wasn't a Super Dragon style curb stomp though. This was a a a Seth Rollins style curb stomp. Yeah, and it was very brutal. And like like just if you're talking about like an intense brawling move, like that's one. But AJ doesn't sell for very long. He comes back. He hits a brain buster onto Rave, onto an open chair. And that's when we get our third straight heel finish. Um, Cruel and Eddie take AJ out with punches. So AJ dives onto them and Nana. And then Chung gets in the ring. He tries to slap AJ. So AJ takes her hand, then spanks her on the butt, kind of, and sends her out of the rings. And as he's tapping her on the ass gratuitously the announcers compliment his compassion and class and call him a real man and i'm like um (laughs) uh so that kind of says it all about 2005 our way that this this was the example of a classy guy
0: and aj was the same guy a few shows ago when jay chung stepped in the ring he was like daring her to do something like threatening to hit her if she tried something like what what, do you say like
1: something your cap or something like that oh Remember that? Yeah, he was to a peeler cap peel or something like cap.
0: that's what it was. <laughs> a real class act, you know? Yeah, a gentleman's gentleman. <laughs> yeah, so
1: I wasn't crazy about that. But then at that point, AJ went for the Styles Clash. Shelly ran in. Shell shocked him. Rave hit the Rave Clash, got the win. Big bullshit chant for that one. For the for the heel for the second or the, actually the third heel finish in a row. Um, but the match was entertaining. Like yeah, I, I can say, not say that it wasn't. Like and the crowd was the it was definitely the hottest the crowd was the whole night. And I um, I thought it was pretty good. But yeah, it definitely had its flaws, which I I tried to point out. And um, I still think overall it was a, a good match, a good brawl.
0: Yeah, this was my favorite match of the show thus far. I w- again, I would probably put it as like three and a half stars. So not, like it's not a great match, but I enjoyed this match. I, I feel it's almost like two matches where – you get the first half which is the brawl you talked about it gets all the way to the concession area and like like you said the problem like i thought the the brawling was was intense fairly intense and it, it i didn't even work, i wasn't as bothered even by aj's punches as you and i thought overall i enjoyed the brawl but like you said it has the common brawl problem that most indies have which is the cameras and the lighting don't really keep track of the action so it's hard to see a lot of the, what's happening um, and then the second half of the match goes back in the ring and it is what you described, which it is mostly just built around a handful of really cool spots and them kind of just selling in between the spots, which they should be because it's a brutal spots so you should be selling. But you know, again, the backs, like you said, the suplex off the apron through the table, the brainbuster on the open chair, the brutal running knee, rave bleeding, you know, AJ doing the big dive near the end to take out the embassy and it, it's just like big dumb fun. Like I really enjoyed all of that. I, I thought it was, you know, it, it accomplished what it should have on that point. And there was enough hate in the opening part, you know, to feel like it was part of a feud. Um, It's weird. So when I came to the end of this match, I was like, but I still only think it's like a three and a half star match. And a lot of times when I come to the end of a match and I give it that level of a rating, I can tell you exactly the flaws that kept it from being me giving it a higher rating this match. I was just like, I don't know what I, I don't, I can't really come up with a big criticism of this match other than maybe, you know, the lighting and the headbutt spot looking a little dorky and stuff like that. But it's not like I have a huge criticism of this match. It's just, I don't feel much like I feel, I don't feel like going higher in this match, but at the same time, I'm not like, Oh, there's this huge gaping flaw. It's just like, well, eh, it's a good match.
1: Well, if I can um, kind of take that assessment and, Kind of defend it a little bit. I don't look at matches like they start at five stars and then you, you like check off flaws to work your way down. Like a match has to just reach a level to reach that level. And so if it didn't reach that level, it didn't reach that level. You know what I mean? Like I don't think it needs yeah. flaws to to not be a super great match does that make sense
0: yeah and see sometimes i do think i do look at it that other way you know and maybe that's not the right way like you know maybe i shouldn't be watching like a 1994 wwf superstars bastion booger marty jenay match and going this starts at five stars and every minute they do something i'm going to be seeing if i'm taking away anything but I'm like, seems, this exhaust- has to protect-
1: seems exhausting
0: <laughs> I'm going to... That's one demerit for these guys. Um, but, and Matt, finally, the most important question about this match was toilet paper thrown in the ring after the match I think it was just unrolled streamers but I am now constantly on the lookout you are the referee yeah
1: I trust me I look I look because because I know we're gonna have these conversations there was not (laughs) toilet paper thrown in the ring
0: okay so after the match embassy puts the boots to AJ as fans throw streamers in the ring and chant bullshit Roderick Strong runs in to try and make the save but he gets overwhelmed very quickly by the entire embassy the crowd chants for Austin Aries who eventually runs in selling his back he gets taken out too few fans at this point briefly chant for samoa joe for some reason i feel like just fans got we're getting in the habit of just chanting for samoa joe anytime someone needed to run in they just wanted to see samoa joe can you blame them yeah no uh, definitely not um the embassy poses they leave rave does aj styles arms outstretched pose the embassy does their little diamond hand gesture yet again which leads to a really funny moment where um Nana sees that like Eddie's just flexing and he's not doing the uh, the the hand gesture. And in what seems to be like a legit like real moment, I think he screams at him in a way that felt real. He goes, "Put it up, the diamond," he says. And then Eddie does the hand gesture. <laughs> and we're like, and Nana's like. Dude, come on! I just—it's it's, just—it's a funny little moment. The embassy leaves as AJ and Aries and Roderick recover in the ring. They kind of stare for a second, and then they shake hands. So we see a new alliance is being formed between Gen Next and AJ Styles. I, guess, I guess
1: this is the real cementing of their face turn. I guess, like I know, I've been, I think, I've been waiting finally. for, it, but
0: this has got to be it. <laughs> I mean, they're aligning with a top baby face. A heel group has just done very dastardly deeds against them. Like this, really does have to. Be. I know we've said they're they faced now like four times this year, but this really does have to be the point of no return. Like they cannot act like heels after this.
1: Yeah, and I did um, like I did like the beat down at the end. Like I thought the NBC seemed like a swarm of bees in like a good way, you know.
0: Yeah. Just the fact that you know one guy would come out then another guy would come out, and they just couldn't you know it just kind of reinforced just how overwhelming how many of them there were but um that brings us to the main event of the evening, the Ring of honor World title match, a match in some ways that was a year and a half in the making cm Punk versus Christopher Daniels went to a sixty minute time limit draw. So this would be what the uh, – let me see here. One, two, three, four. This would be, I think, the fifth match in Ring of Honor history to go 60 minutes or more because you got the 60-minute Iron Man match at Crowning of Champions. You got the two Samoa Joe CM Punk draws. You've got the 70-plus-minute Aries Danielson match, and this would be the fifth. This with, And this is the one that is – those are other matches, all well-remembered. This match, not I – w- I wouldn't even say not well-remembered, just not remembered, I think. A lot of people don't even yeah. remember that these two had a 60-minute match.
1: Yes, I remember it because it is the very first 60-minute time in the draw. I got to see live for a world title match, so I will never forget it.
0: So this match, I would say – I mean it's not well-remembered, but of those who do remember it, it uh, most people are disappointed. But I would say – there's a fair mix of thoughts i've seen people looking doing some research of the show giving reviews ratings as low as two and a half stars for this i've seen people go as high as four stars on this um my thoughts on this match it's kind of complicated where i would say i think there are elements of this match that are almost like a master class of how to pace a 60 minute match and i think there are elements of this match that show you all the flaws that you can do in a 60 minute match so i guess i would start off with the good stuff the part I think is a masterclass is apart from the opening 10 minutes where CM Punk does a lot of stalling and they do a pretty slow start, which you might expect in a lot of matches as more acceptable in the opening 10 minutes. I think these guys do a fantastic job at pacing the rest of this match because a lot of matches, they're like, you know, three or four big peaks and valleys. I think if you looked at this match on like a as like a sign, like a wave graph or something, it would be like 30 small peaks and valleys where like, Every these guys do a great job after the opening minutes of every minute or two they do like a sequence or a spot that's just exciting enough to get the get the fans engaged and then they sell or they slow it back down again and they do that so often I feel like for a 60 minute match the crowd might not ever be at some point there might be times where they're more down than other times, but I never feel like they lo- lose the crowd at any point in a six- in this match, and in any sixty-minute match, minute match, I feel like that's a victory in itself. I feel like they did a really good job of kind of just breadcrumbing the action throughout to keep them into it without ever like blowing huge spots too early or anything like that. And the work, you know, it's good CM Punk, Christopher Daniels, professional wrestling. In some ways, you know, it feels different than the match that they might normally have because it's longer and they have to pace it a bit different. But in some ways it just feels like a longer version of the match they might have had otherwise in some ways, because it's in some ways it's a textbook Christopher Daniels match where you've seen a lot of Christopher Daniels matches like this, where, each guy picks a body part and works on the other guy, including, you know, midsection body part work for on Christopher Daniels, which I believe it seems like it happens in a lot of Christopher Daniels matches. And they just—it's very competent, good, solid professional wrestling. Now, the bad parts I would say is this is a match where I feel like one of the big flaws in sixty-minute match minute matches, obviously, is it's easy to tip off. It, it's hard to hide that it's going to be a sixty-minute match. Because you have to wrestle in a different way for cardio sake, for just pacing sake, for, you can't, you have to fill up the match in a different way. And this is a match where sometimes I've seen 60 minute matches, they try and start with a hot opening before they slow it down to try and make the crowd think that maybe it's not going to be long. This is a match where right from the very start, I think you can tell it's going to be a long match because the opening minutes are very, are pretty slow. You know, Punk in the opening minutes, he's taking any opportunity to um, go to the floor, whether he wins an exchange or loses an exchange. He just bails to the crowd e- for each time and interacts with the crowd like the maroon Larry Zabisco that he is. Um, <laughs> <laughs> he, uh, he, <laughs> You know, th- th- even like in the middle of the match, I think as wrestling fans we kind of get trained over time to know like the rhythms of matches where we know where the usually matches they reach a certain point where they like, like they've hit a new gear and we know they're not going to slow down again. And this is a match where again it keeps slowing down like this is a match where at the 30 minute mark around that point at a point that's a length of time where most ring of honor matches do not even last that long they are trading abdominal stretches so like at that point you know if if we're 30 minutes in and they're still at a point where they're just trading abdominal stretches this match is going long and you know it does for some people that's going to take them out of it in some ways some people just will not be able to accept the 60 minute match i would be lying if i said that I ne- my attention never wavered during the semester or a few times. But I will say for the most part, it did a pretty good job of holding my attention. There were a few little moments where I was like starting to waver a bit. Um there were a lot of great moments, which I can get into after, but I feel like I'm already going too long talking about but of like where the do du- Christopher Daniels matches often have this where like the dueling body part work plays into each other, like punk wool ram daniel's injured stomach with his head and 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 shoulder but that hurts the neck that daniel's has been working over so like they hurt each other with spots like that there's a few spots like that which are really nice or like daniel's is in a body scissors that's working over his injured midsection so he breaks the hole by chopping punk in his neck which he's been working on stuff like that i I always enjoy um i guess the controversial part of this match is other than it being a draw is the 45 minute mark where um there is a ref bump where Punk goes for a flying dropkick. Uh, Daniels gets out of the way; it hits the ref. At this point, um, there are a couple visual near pit, visual pins where Daniels is able to hit the Blue Thunder Driver, and he gets a three count, but no one's there to count it. And then Punk hits the Pepsi Twist Clothesline, and no one is there to count it. And then finally, uh, Daniels hits the best moonsaw ever. Uh, a second ref, Mike Kinner is the one who gets bumped. Todd Sinclair runs from the back. And he goes and makes the count, the, the near fall count, and Punk kicks out at two, but of course it's been – he's had extra time to rest because Sinclair had to run from the back. Now, a lot of people hated this. In fact, I'll just go straight to the Observer quote on this. Let me just find it here. Um Dave wrote, "This match got a mixed reaction. It's pretty well conceded that the work was very strong, but lots of complaints, including the fact that almost everyone figured out early they were going long, and that people absolutely hated the draw. And mostly left Matt after all heel wins. Mostly not that big a deal in Ring of Honor. Um, anyway, he says the crowd was. Let me just go. I'm just gonna skip forward because there's a part I'm saving for later." Um, crowd also hit the ref bump after punk hit a missile dropkick and then the ref and then no ref spot where gales had punk pinned for 10 seconds. Gales hit the moonsault and a second ref ran in and punk kicked out exactly like every single WWE TV and pay-per-view main event. That was at the 45 minute mark and a spot put in by punk because he wanted people to think it wasn't going 60 minutes. There was a big pop for that kickout spot just like there is in every WWE main event. Daniels hit the angel swings at the bell. We heard three and a half stars to four stars on this match. Very negative reaction to the finish. Um, now, I don't. I am not bugged by the ref bump spot. I understand some fans being like, oh, that's WWE type shit. But Ring of Honor rarely did that shit. And I can completely see why Punk put that in there. Because, like I said, I think it was very obvious this match was going long. And I think the point of doing it is almost you're playing off the WWE's usage of it. Because usually if you watch WWE matches, when the ref bump comes, the finish is coming within the next few minutes. And I think Punk probably did that, like Dave said in The Observer – you know, 15 minutes before the end of the draw, probably to try and maybe get the fans to think, if we're seeing a ref bump now, the finish is probably coming. I don't know if, I think the fans, it got a fairly nice pop, but not a crazy pop for that kick out on the Daniels thing. I don't know if it completely fooled the fans the rest of the way, but I do think it was a smart idea and was a nice near fall and it didn't bug me. The one thing, I Matt, before I hand it to you that I will say that spot did bug me is it's a it's a pet peeve I have where... You do a ref bump. And then the visual near-falls come on moves that would never get pins otherwise. Like like Punk is down for like 10 seconds or whatever Dave said for a Blue Thunder driver. You know, Daniels never wins a match with that. And then right afterwards where Punk makes his comeback, he hits the Pepsi twist close, another move that's n- I've never seen a win a match. And Daniels is down for the three count. And I hate – I that's the part I hate. Not the ref run and not the ref bump. I hate the fact that both these guys had like visual pinfall losses to moves that would never win that. Otherwise, but other than that, I would say my opinion on this match—it's like a three and a half star match. It's weird because there's some really good work in this match, but part of me was almost wanting to go three and three quarter stars. But then part of me sat down, I thought about, and I thought like, unlike a lot of those other sixty minute matches we've covered, like you always have to be in the mood to watch a sixty minute match. This is a match where it's like I had fun. I was never really bored. I think they did an admirable admirable job feeling the time. But if someone asked me, do you want to watch this match again? I would say no. And I can't go too high on a match where I would say, I don't really have a desire to ever see this match again. But yet, I would still say it's good. So it's such a weird place I'm in. But Matt, what did you think about this match?
1: Yeah. So, yeah. So I mean, I really actually do feel very similar to you, like in terms of the big picture – and Everything. Um, I will say that live, I definitely was on the page of the people that didn't like the finish, didn't like the ref bump, um, was pretty disappointed. Um, I think that the slow pace, I think, was just too much also in the crowd. You know, the crowd got into some big spots in the ending, but they weren't like super hot for most of the match. You know what I mean? Like they were, they mm-hmm. were watching. They they weren't like shitting on it or anything. But it's not like Joe versus Punk where they had the crowd in the palm of their hands the whole time. And they was, would
0: pop when something neat happened, and then they would be quiet when something didn't happen.
1: Right, and and I think another thing that this match had that was obviously it's unfortunate, but it's a cm punk 60 minute match you're going to compare it to the joe matches right and especially joe versus punk too and like that match took you on a ride the entire time this was a lot more of a traditional traditional pace like they're gonna go slow they're gonna repeat stuff um and i do think there was too much repetitiveness in this match like some of the the trading punches spots and some of the holds they would go back to um it's interesting um early in the match well actually first i want to start with something funny um the first thing i noticed at the very very beginning when punk is actually making his entrance um so he comes out uh right through the curtain and a a kid like grabs his arm and he turns and, and like he's like what the fuck and like you or know, something like that like he swears at them and i don't know if i'm just projecting but i thought i saw in punk's face like him realizing, like, oh shit, I just cursed at a little kid, and like, he sort of, like, Keeps his angry face but also kind of gets quiet, you know, and like almost yeah. like he's embarrassed that he yelled at a kid, which I thought was pretty funny. I don't know. Maybe I'm wrong and that is not how he felt at all. No,
0: but. I noticed that too. It's like he caught himself. Like it's almost like, you know, the the punk that's willing to – as we've covered on multiple recent shows, that's willing <laughs> to like attack or chase fans like was coming out and then he was like, oh shit, you know, underage, you know, yeah, not, yeah. not 18, can't do this. <laughs>
1: yeah, yeah. And then in a very 2005 ROH's classy 2005 Strikes Again moment, um the first chant of the match is the crowd going, she's a slut. And I think it was directed at a fan that Punk was insulting. Um, yeah. So they were, you know, siding with the heel in order to insult a female fan in the crowd. Stay classy 2005 ROH. Um But yeah, like you said, you know, very, very blatant stalling at the beginning, like – Super, like super blatant. Um, while, in the meantime, Gabe. Is commenting like, this is weird. You'd think they would go out and have a real brawl, given how much they hate each other. And I actually was wondering if, like, Gabe himself was on the side of this 60-minute draw idea, or if he had to be sold on it.
0: And- Gabe seemed almost apologetic that the match wasn't a brawl. Like, like he felt like he had... And to a fair, I think he's right to do that. Like, he was trying to explain like... Like, he kept trying to... come, And he was coming out with good reasons. Like, oh, the titles would be better revenge than a brawl. But, like, you know, they hyped this match as, you know, like, 16 months in the making... And and then Gabe is like, oh, I have to figure out why this isn't a brawl. Like, why don't they hate it? Why it's like a slow paced technical wrestling match.
1: I mean, it is weird. Like, you know, it, it is a weird thing. And I sometimes wonder if it was like just a matter of like TNA not wanting Daniels to lose to Punk. Do you think that could have been a part of it?
0: I don't know. I looked at, uh, if you look up Daniel's um, results on Cage Match, he does jobs to people that, uh, to places that are way less high profile and stars that are way less notable than Punk. Are but they, maybe, are they
1: WWE contracted employees? Th- yeah,
0: that, that, that's, that's why I'm thinking maybe that, or maybe, maybe Ring of Honor was too high profile at this point. Maybe they had more restrictions on him there than another place. I, I don't know. I mean, it, it, we know. Uh, I we know on the the last show that it seems like Matt, they had to be TNA had to be made happy by you know the interference and Daniel's not tapping just passing out to Matt Hardy and that was an example of a contracted WWE guy versus Daniels. So yeah, maybe there is something to that. Yeah. Or maybe they just felt like Daniels is a big star and he's going to be sticking around here for a long for a while and we don't want Punk to beat another guy you know that you know on the way out because they just had him be strong and lethal and
1: yeah i I don't remember how daniels gets eliminated in the four-way at the next show i have to keep an eye on that and see what happens there but you know i i do feel like there's repetition like there are like some big pops for things that i wouldn't expect for there to um for there to be pops for like like there's a, a cross face spot that um that daniels gets on like in the middle of the match like it's a pretty big pop even though it wasn't really built to like a finish i was like okay well i guess they do have the crowd in the palm of their hands in some ways meanwhile at one point gabe says no physical pain would hurt as much as the mental pain knowing you lost a match like this to your top rival for the world title and i kind of thought like can it be both (laughs) you know can't you hurt your opponent while winning the world title but you know I i don't know um but, um, but yeah, I, I did notice early that it was weird because I, I'd sort of forgotten about the ref bump spot when I watched it again. And I, I did think it was weird that Mike Keener was in there for the main event because he's never in there for the world title matches. Yeah. It's always Sinclair. And I was like, oh, that should have been obvious to me. Like, there's going to be a bump and Sinclair is going to come out. Like, and of course he did. He was there to finish. And actually, it's also another clever way to make the refs not have to work 60 minutes in a match. Yeah. Like so that that's good, and I do think when I was talking about danger before, I do think she did a really good job of keeping the crowd in the match at different points, and like you know you could see her on the outside like banging the mat and getting the crowd going, and I think she was very effective in that role. So I do not think that um, that it was like that she's like you know just taking up space out there. Like I'm annoyed that she's like they've kind of gutted her character but she still works hard and does a good job when she's out there um at least so far um i i did think it was funny though when she was trying to wake up keener and then just got frustrated at him like and everyone's just like we need a referee and i'm like i know this is just like the oldest wrestling thing in the book but i never really get to talk about it because they don't have ref bumps in roh but isn't it really funny like to this day that in wrestling when a referee gets knocked unconscious nobody reacts nobody's like oh no like this is a crisis like it's just like <laughs> who's going to count the pinfall let's run past this unconscious man like it's just like <laughs> right like could you imagine like I, again I'm just stating the most obvious thing in the world but like in a sport if an official gets knocked unconscious and like everyone just l- leaves him lying there another referee just comes out and like takes his place just so that, you know because the important thing is that you finish the contest right yeah,
0: um, especially when like a ref bump usually like a lot of times it requires the guy selling for like three minutes sometimes on these and it's like if someone's n- knocked unconscious for like more than a few seconds like at that point it becomes incredibly frightening <laughs> like, yes. <is> he dead? <laughs> and then everyone just goes oh no he's <laughs> <You> just forget <laughs> about that close lines are happening
1: yeah it's uh, like it was just funny like she was trying to wake up the referee and like she, like, she was mad at him also like but the other parts like when they have like referees get knocked out and like the wrestler will like take their carcass and like count a pinfall with it and it's just like (laughs) you are all sociopaths (laughs) like they did not do that in this match just for the record but i never get to talk about ref bumps in roh so this was my chance to talk about it ref bumps were always like my wrestling pet peeve going back to when i was a kid i just think they're so stupid like this first of all what i just said is ridiculous but also like a lot of times when a referee gets knocked out it's like for something stupid you know, right. like, remember in, um, the Ricky Steamboat versus Randy Savage match? Do you remember how that, how, uh, Dave Heppner gets knocked out where it's like, no, there's neither. like a reversed Irish whip into the corner and like, one of the guys gets whipped into Hebner, who then turns around and bonks his head into the top turnbuckle <laughs> and falls down. And it's just like so absurd. And the guy's like completely unconscious. And it's, it's just so stupid. Rough bumps are really stupid. And one of the things I loved about ROH was that they did not have them. So I, so you can see why I was very annoyed when on my third ever ROH show, yeah. they have a big rough bump in the main event. Um,
0: but that's like, oh god, I've missed the peak of Ring of Honor. I came yes, just for the end of it.
1: That's sort of how I felt. Like it really was. I was like, what the fuck did I just walk into? But um, that said, um, they the the final part once uh, once Sinclair is in, I think is pretty good. Um, you know, they 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 go for um, a superplex and Punk sells his neck after and gets a delayed two count. Then the big big reaction for the Koji clutch. Um, and Praizek points out that Daniels has worked over Punk's neck the whole time to build up to it. And Punk struggles and makes the ropes. And when he finally gets there, I have a really nice touch. P- Punk yells, Oh my God! as he grabs the ropes. I thought that was oh, yeah. pretty cool. And then Daniels comes back with a flurry of headbutts. And fortunately, he doesn't overdo it like, uh, like AJ does. Um, Punk is like selling his neck for the whole stretch. And we're up to the, that's that, at this point, it's the 55 minute mark. And Punk goes up top, yells, best moonsault ever, and then hits a split legged moonsault. But Daniels gets his feet up, hits a cross body, gets a near fall. Um, then Punk grabs his legs, tries to get a win with his feet on the ropes. Daniels kicks out. Punk tries to get a roll up holding the tights. Daniels kicks out. Um, Punk gets a quick small package for two. And then Daniels gets the uh, the Uranagi, the best moonsault ever, but he can't cover because he's grabbing his stomach, and Punk grabs on the Anaconda device, and the crowd goes nuts. And then and Daniels is in that hold for a long time, and he gets his put foot on the bottom ropes, and then Punk just locks it back on again, and Daniels tried to tries to reverse, and Punk locks it in again, and it's a great struggle. Daniels keeps fighting, he's working hard. danger is working hard on the outside to keep the crowd involved and she's great and daniels keeps his arm from dropping the third time and he tries to knee his way out of the hold and he keeps struggling and it's probably too long but it's okay and he tries to do almost like an undertaker sit-up and he stands up and i was like after he's been in this hold for so long it kind of buries the hold a little bit that he just then eventually just stands up out of it. But then I was like, you know what? Punk's leaving anyway. You might as well bury his <laughs> finisher. Um, and
0: Daniels – p- get a new one anyway.
1: Yeah, exactly. Uh, although he does use the Anaconda vice for the first little while. But um, yeah. Daniels gets a jackknife pin for two and that's when Cruz announces the one minute left and they trade a few more roll-ups and Daniels tries to get the Angels' wings and he finally gets it at like the very last second and time runs out and – You know, the last ten minutes was were were, were very good. Honestly, they were they were really were very dramatic. But I I, you know I don't think either match either guy is going to point to this match as one of their best. But I I really do think it was a solid addition to the title reign. And I um, and you know it was told a good story. The announcers did a good job of getting it over. It was definitely much better on DVD than it was live. Definitely. And I still think it was a missed opportunity that they didn't get to do their brawl because I think they could have had a really good one.
0: Yeah, I mean, it's, uh, it's definitely, to me, the worst 60-minute match we've seen in the Ring of Honor so far. But it's still a good match. And I think it's always an accomplishment to have a good 60-minute match. Not that, I mean, I don't like the idea of doing 60 minutes just to do 60 minutes. But, you know, it takes skill. You know, you have to have the cardio. You have to have the pacing. You have to be able to have enough stuff to fill the time. Although, as you mentioned, they ended up repeating some stuff to fill time here. But still, you know, not everyone can do a 60-minute match. And not that every wrestler should, should need to have that ability. But, you know, it isn't an accomplishment that they were able to have a match that I enjoyed that went that long. But I mean, where I will say this match fails is like what made the Joe Punk matches special, I felt like, was there was a story there that that necess that made the 60 minutes make sense like it felt like that match had to be those matches had to be 60 minutes and there was a reason in the match why they weren't 60 minutes in storyline where it was punk using these headlocks trying to tire joe out and get him to go matches to uh, joe to have matches that were longer than he had ever wrestled before and all this stuff likewise like the four corner world title iron man match uh in crowning a champion was has a story that was built around there needed to be three falls to set up a really good story in that match. And even like the uh the three two out of three falls match that went over 70 minutes, Ares and Danielson, you know, that's two out of three falls. Even though I think we both agreed the match probably would have been better if it was a bit shorter. They still had three falls to work with and it was kind of the point of that match was to be long. This match, I feel is like the first sixty-minute match that we've seen in Ring of Honor where it feels like it's being long just to be a sixty-minute draw. Like the, yeah. it, it, it's not special because they're not really. It just feels like a a better, a longer, not better, but a longer version of the match they would have had, except without the brawling. Even you know. Like yeah, they, they, more- they
1: could have they could have done that final sequence in a shorter match, and it would have been epic. As it was, it was just like a really good way to end a match that could have been better.
0: The other couple things I want to point out, Punk does a really bad, so bad it's good, Ric Flair strut. Like people make fun of Punk's top rope elbows. You should see his Ric Flair or Jackie Fargo strut because it is – it's almost like Elaine dancing on Seinfeld. It's (laughs) not good. But it was funny to see. Um, And also – well now a, now pu- now Punk, if you're
1: listening, which you're not, um, now you have to at some point in AEW do the Elaine dance on from Seinfeld. At some th- that point, should work it
0: in. Th- that that should be the first dance. <laughs> That's Uh-oh, right, oh, the man. first dance.
1: <laughs> 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 well, you did it. End the show. End the show for good. You can't top that
0: one. Yeah, but um. So the one other thing that bugged me about this match, it's an obvious, like, it's its a pet peeve I've talked about with Punk before. He's one of the most obvious spot callers in the business. But this one is egregious even by his standards. So you talked about there's that point late in the match where Daniels is, is down from a spot and Punk goes and he goes best moonsault ever and he does like an Arabian press to Daniels. Well, if you notice... At the point of the match, he's walking towards the, the turnbuckle. I think he's got like his back to Daniel's. And then he realizes, Oh, I've got to call this spot. He turns around, drops to his hands and knees, puts his head right by Daniel's heads, clearly tells him the spot, then immediately pops up and does the spot. Like there's no, he goes from like a standing position ready to do the spot to like dropping down just so he can talk to Daniel's. Like it's, it is the most egregious spot call I have maybe ever seen. And, it is like punk is such a talented wrestler and he does stuff and he was just so fascinating because he would also occasionally do things like that where you would feel like I've seen guys in wrestling, fresh out of wrestling school that would not do something that blatant, but it it was amazing. But uh, going back to the observer, they had some other notes. I kind of just tried to read the notes from the bit that were about the match, but he has some more overall notes from this finish and everything. Let me see if I can find them. Um, let me just see here quickly. I'll go back um Gabe Sapolsky felt that they needed the screw jobs to get some heels over and felt Philadelphia was an okay place to do it because Kenta Kabashi's on the next show. So he figured everyone would come back. It felt last week like they played the punk not losing the title card one week too long. This, this crowd was strong for Philadelphia, at least as it pertained to the walk-up, which was very, which was much larger than for the previous few shows. The reactions of those there seemed to echo that feeling. Punk is now again announced for his final matches with the promotion, and by this point, it's gone from a cool angle to to the boy who called Wolf. Dave said he did not. Dave did not say the boy who cried Wolf. The boy who called Wolf, which I found funny. Um, for a four way <laughs> on August twelfth, where he defends against Daniels, James Gibson, and Samoa Joe, followed by a match on August thirteenth for a singles match against Colt Cabana. Punk wasn't booed as much as you'd think, but Daniels was clearly the favorite. Crowd also hated the ref bump, blah, blah, blah. blah. He went into that. Um, Let me just see here. Then Dave goes very negative reaction to the finish. The idea was was that this may be Punk's last 60-minute match ever. Punk hit Daniels and Gibson with post-match belt shots. Joe came out and did some Shinya Hashimoto moves on Punk and did the Hashimoto pose. Joe cut a promo saying he wouldn't let Vince McMahon buy his life and wouldn't let Punk take the belt to WWE. Noble said he wanted another shot being world champion because Ring of Honor gave him a chance to be something more than a cruiserweight stuck on a B-show. So, here's the funny thing about that we i'll get to it in a second we do see the run-ins we don't get any of those promos and it is kind of hilarious that we got basically joe and nobles i mean or gibson saying things that come true <laughs> for them like joe's like oh i won't let vince mcmahon buy my life and gibson like i won't be a cruiserweight on a b-show it's like well you will and you will actually but yeah um we'll go to the pw torch quickly Ring of Honor promoter and Booker Gabe Sapolsky says he was pleased with Punk vs. Daniels and the entire Philadelphia show. This was one of my favorite shows, and we accomplished a lot of things, he tells the Torch. The next few months will be very interesting. Christopher Daniels vs. CM Punk was a great match with a real old-school element in it. It was a completely different, different than the other long matches we'd done in that this match had a very strong, old-school-inspired feel-and-face element. We started a lot of things last Saturday. Some Then The Torch continued, Some recent match finishes have been met with catcalls and criticism from longtime Ring of Honor fans. Ring of Honor originally featured almost exclusively clean finishes and no interference from ringside. More and more often in recent months, finishes resemble what has been more traditionally common in major national promotions. Sapolsky defends the change of booking policy while not blaming the fans for being upset with the change. Quote, I don't blame the fans at all, he tells The Torch, but heels won by cheating, and that isn't supposed to make them happy. Everything we did on Saturday will lead to something, and in retrospect, this will become a historic show. I will say that the fans all got their money's worth, and that is one thing you can always count on in Ring of Honor, is that you will get more than your money's worth when you come to a Ring of Honor event. One source in Ring of Honor believes that the number of negative reviews for Ring of Honor's The Homecoming, which was held in Philadelphia last Saturday, will come full circle. Ring of Honor feels it had a number of strong shows lately the feeling within Ring of Honor is that you have to have some problems before there is a need to find solutions, and some fans being miffed at some of the things at one show isn't seen as a problem at this point. Ring of Honor is trying several different angles to see what Ring of Honor fans will and will not take to. Ring of Honor isn't looking to become a sports entertainment company, but is simply trying different angles to gauge what Ring of Honor fans will tolerate. Ring of Honor is is taking the stance that if these angles don't work, they will be revised or dropped altogether. So, yeah, I, I, I'm not going to read it, but there was a, a live report that Torch published where this fan just tore into the show and he was like, Gabe has lost his touch. The fans are going to turn on the product, all this stuff. And there were some people that were very much angry that this was a Ring of Honor show where you had three straight heel wins with outside interference followed by a draw that was basically a heel win because it was Punk getting his title belt back that Daniels had discovered. And, and you know, I, I – I have a higher tolerance for outside interference, but I get why fans would be mad by basically a, a show where the top half of the card was nothing but downer heel triumphs and interference. I, I, I can understand that.
1: I have a surprise for you. Um, I have my own email that I sent to a friend right after this show with my immediate Day after reaction, live reaction, to attending this show. Wow. Would you like to hear it?
0: Yes, I would,
1: sir. All right. So this is me in an email to a friend. I said, as for last night's show, I actually left with a really sour taste in my mouth. After becoming practically ROH-obsessed for the past month and a half, the bloom came off the rose last night when I realized that they, too, can have a night of really lousy booking. Three straight screwjob heel wins in big matches and then a one-hour draw that featured a ref bump with a crowd that clearly did not want that finish. As far as the 60-minute match itself, I have to say it really just wasn't all that great. It'll probably seem pretty good on DVD with the announcers there to fill in any gaps, but it really didn't have an apparent story to it, and there were various points where they just repeated spots that they had done earlier. Not with any sense of escalation either. It was more just, oh, they're doing that again? There was this one thing where they exchanged punches for a while with the crowd going, Yay! when Daniels would hit and, Boo! when Punk would hit. And then eventually Daniels hit a few in a row, whipped whipped Punk into the ropes, and hit a backdrop. They did that sequence at least three times. I assume it was just because they knew it got a reaction, which not everything did. Also, the atmosphere at the show was lousy compared to the two Manhattan shows that I've been to. More younger teenagers and little kids with their parents... It was def, yeah, I know. Um, <laughs> it was definitely a letdown in that regard, since the atmosphere was one of my favorite things about the shows that I've been to, especially the seven nine one that was Escape from New York, which I really hope translates to the DVD. Overall, if this screwy booking style doesn't become a trend. I'll probably find the show far less irritating on DVD, as there were some good matches on it. Joe Gibson and Lethal versus the Rottweilers was borderline great, so that's something to look forward to, but it definitely wasn't as fun as the other ROH experiences that I've had.
0: I think it's fascinating that you basically called this podcast with one of those last lines where you were like, oh, if this doesn't become a trend, I'll probably like this better on DVD. Like, you basically wrote a letter to yourself, Matt. I mean, that's kind of crazy, actually.
1: Yeah, I um I mean I I I think it like you know not to pat myself on the back but I do think I turned out to be right about a lot of different aspects as far as like um the the 60 minute match being better with commentary and the uh the finishes being a lot less irritating when you know that they're not a trend. <laughs> and 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 I do think you know I do think it's an overreact like for me it was more like I was just so new to it that I was like You know, it was just sort of like, um, I guess a little bit like disenchanting to know that they weren't perfect. (laughs) You know, it just felt like, oh my God, this is just perfect. Everything I ever dreamed of with wrestling booking. And then you watch it and you're like, oh no, there's actually some times that they do stuff I don't like also. And so, like, I think that's why I reacted that way. But I do think in retrospect, it's sort of like, all right, calm down. It's one event. You know what I mean? I mean, but, one event matters more when they're trying to sell every single one like for twenty dollars, but still it's just one event. It doesn't mean that everything's changing and if you actually go forward r o h s booking does not change that much. You know what I mean like they're still yeah. there's still r o h and they still will be for a long time
0: uh like uh- I'll read a little excerpt from Dennis Smith's torch live report. Uh, just, I just want to say this because you were hardly, that email was hardly alone and it was far from the harshest. Cause I saw a few reports and this one, here's just a couple of choice quotes. Um, Unfortunately, the cracks in Gabe Sapolsky's booking are really starting to show. The crowd left majorly pissed off. I read some reports about last week's, show, last week's show in Connecticut where people were arguing if the crowd was pissed or if it was just a few frustrated fans. I can attest to the fact that this crowd was pissed and vocal about it. And then oh, that's how he starts his review. He does a review that basically complains the whole way through. And then he ends with um, – Let me just see here. Uh, The crowd left pissed at the finish and at the proliferation of bullshit finishes in what was supposed to be a clean finish type of promotion. Ring of Honor is losing its magical touch with its audience because Gabe Sapolsky is no longer listening to his crowd. And so, you know, there were some people that were mad about this, but I like I will say Ring of Honor was doing more heel interference and outside. um interference spots than they had ever done before. And I do think ending a show with four straight kind of heel wins in a sense, and three of them being outside interference, that is egregious for any show probably, probably too far. But I will say uh, people were overreacting because obviously this wasn't going to be a crazy thing. That was going to be a huge trend and ruin the shows. And I also think sometimes people, when they talk about early Ring of Honor, it was more cleaner than this era of Ring of Honor, but I think people exaggerate. Like, they act like every Ring of Honor match right from the start was no faces, no heels, no interference, no cheating ever. Like, when Loki was the first Ring of Honor world champion, he lost the title in the first year on his second title offense to Xavier when Christopher Daniels interfered. Like, and there was cheating. Like, that was a world title change on interference. And so it's not like this never happened. It just never happened. This much. right, four in a row, yeah, yeah, well, well, the thing is, remember uh Jody Fleisch
1: versus Red, how mad everyone was at that, this was like that, like several matches in a row,
0: <laughs> yeah,
1: I mean, not um, exactly because they didn 't actually cut the match short, but you know so so like it's this is not unprecedented for people to be mad at this at screwy finishes, and it was a lot of them, but like when you just look at what comes what comes later, you know danielson 's title reign joe and kobashi it 's not they 're not getting away from their roots it 's like it's a short-term angle to get to a certain point, and on that level, it looks a lot better. The thing that is funny, though, is that Gabe was like, "Well, that's okay because Philly will be able to bounce back because Kobashi's on the next show." But really, if you look, <laughs> Kobashi's Philly show does better than this, but it doesn't. It's it, that's not what brings brings Philly back up high. It's CZW that brings Philly back for ROH, and. um it's just interesting. Like, it, you know, I don't think Gabe would have thought of that at that point. But, like, CZW was really what Philadelphia needed to become a hot market for them again.
0: And also, like, the previ- wasn't the previous show in Philly before this one the Trios Tournament, like yep. that, which is one of the lesser shows of the year? So, really, Philly – you know, it, it was once their home. It was their first market. It was their home base, and they have been taking some hits at this point. And that probably is probably in part why you know they needed CZW next year to kind of revitalize that crowd for a while. And right,
1: for sure. For they they just had two shows in a row that were not super well received by the ROH audience. So they definitely needed to do more than just bring in a special guest, even if that special guest is Kenta Kobashi. But, you know, we'll be talking about that show pretty soon, eventually, so be interested to see how the crowd is on that night.
0: And also, I just wanted to bring up, I think you brought up something interesting, which was, you were saying, like, the cost of attending life, like, something I wonder sometimes when we do this show, and I've heard shows that review, like, not wrestling even, but just other things, that that there's a thing to talk about in the sense of, you, do your reviews change when you're not paying for something, like... I bought all these shows when they came out on DVD, but we're not paying for it right now watching it like we're, we've gotten digital files. You know, we, we've – in the early days, we broke out DVDs, but we've got digital files now, and I don't feel guilty about that because – Well, we bought I, all these shows in the first place. Exactly. I, yeah. I bought all these shows, you know, in the first place. So, you know, as far as I'm concerned, you know – We own
1: these shows. We own, own shows. these shows. We paid for them. Yeah. Yeah.
0: Yeah. But, but there is something where – I wonder if sometimes our reviews, like on this show, because you kind of brought that up just now it made me think of this, or on other shows we reviewed, it's different because we've already paid for them. Like when we watch them now, we're not paying a second time. And I do feel like your expectations change when it's when you leave your house to see a wrestling show or when you've just paid – 25 bucks for a ticket or 20 bucks for a DVD. And you've waited weeks for like, it's different when we're watching a show. We're rewatching a show. We watched over a decade ago. We're not paying any new money to watch it. You know, it's extra entertainment. It's like a bonus on top of what we already paid. And I can understand why like a, a Matt Feuerstein who was so excited and young and bright eyed and bushy tailed why he would have been mad when like, he you know, he leaves his home, he travels to Philadelphia, he pays for a ticket and this is what he gets versus him you know, in 2021, rewatching it for a podcast, like, your expectations are probably different, right? I mean, you, you probably are a lower bar to ple- to clear, to to make happy.
1: Yeah, although I don't appreciate you making fun of my bushy tail. I'm very sensitive about it. <laughs> um, but, um, I, um, d- no, yeah, I mean, but the thing is, like, everyone watching at this point will be watching it 16 years later. Yeah. So, like, in that case, that's really what matters more. Like, we're not – no one's – you know, we're not doing this podcast for people in 2005. So, exactly. So I think our context is the more relevant one.
0: Exactly. But I, I do think it does explain maybe sometimes why sometimes the live reports can seem harsher is because, you know, it means more when you're seeing it live and when you're shelling out for a ticket and all that. But For sure. anyway, there's only one segment left on the show. After the match, the crowd chants for five more minutes. Punk has highlighted his title back, which Daniels had been held in hostage. But, of course, it's the ref who held it back because Daniels had to give it up before the start of the match. Um, the crowd chants, keeps chanting bullshit. Alice in danger is tending to Daniels. Punk just walks up to her, grabs her, punches her, leading to Daniels and Punk brawling in the middle of the ring. Punk wins the exchange against Daniels. And so James Gibson runs in for the save to what I would say is shockingly little reaction. Uh, Punk hits Gibson and Daniels with the title belt, and the crowd chants for Joe, who quickly comes out wearing a Curry Man t-shirt. He lays into Punk with some kicks. Uh, Punk very quickly retreats to the floor, and Joe chases him to the back, and it's kind of a... Not a great ending, I would say, in the sense of we've seen this ending a lot, but usually there's some kind of hook for the next show, like you know, d- you know, Mick Foley saying you're going to have to defend on the next show, or Gibson, say, you know, laying out Punk and saying you know if you want and you want you better come fight me on the next show, or Daniels holding the belt hostage, and this time it's just a brawl and there's no segment, there's no real hook, it's just kind of like. It's over, and here we go.
1: Yeah, I was waiting for Taz's son Hook to come out too. Um, but, um, but yeah, no, like, it it was a weird ending. Like, there should have been something being like, well, what are we gonna do on the next show? Here's something that we might do on the next show. Like, we're just expected to watch the next DVD, and suddenly there's a four way, but like, I don't know, like, they should be announcing what's on the next show. Like, if you watch the show, you're basically like, okay, well, there's nothing planned for the future punks leaving with the title and that's the end of the world like there were no matches announced pretty much at all for future shows on these dvds so yeah i don't think that's the best way to end the show especially when you have already you know that a lot of people have complained about the finish and stuff it's very weird to leave people hanging with the end of the dvd like that
0: I mean, the live show, I don't know how well you remember, but we did go over that just now, the report that said there were promos from right, Gibson and right, Joe, right. but those do not make the DVD. Again, this DVD was right around three hours, so that might have literally just been, we need to cut things for time to make it all fit. But,
1: but you know, they could have cut entrances and stuff, which they didn't yeah. like. It's like they've done that before. It's not unheard of.
0: And so that brings us to the end of the show. Um, Matt... I I would I think this is it is not a terrible show. I think the action generally is good up and down the card. Nothing is approaching great. I, I do think you know it's disappointing for the level of talent on the show. And I would say in my opinion of all the we are I believe if we count the Summer of Punk storyline starting at Death Before Dishonor in of this year and being a seven show series, we're on show five of that storyline. I do think this is the weakest show of the five, both in terms of overall quality and in terms of feeling like a vital part of the storyline, I would say.
1: Oh, yeah, for sure. It's the weakest of those. It's one of the weaker shows of the year, honestly, um, but still pretty good. Like, I mean, I, I thought that the- everything after intermission was very entertaining. I thought pre-intermission was pretty bad, honestly. Um, I didn't like any of the first three matches. I mean, I like the-, 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 the six-man okay, but didn't hold up great for me like the as far as like in terms of compared to what i thought of it live and i really hated all the nana and jay chung stuff um just hated it um you know the with so so that first half of the show was a big thumbs down for me but i the the second half was 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 a pretty big thumbs up honestly like not not a huge one no great matches but solidly entertaining up and down and i think in the long term all the booking was good
0: (laughs) see, I, I think I like the first half a bit more than you, but I think mostly we're on the same page and, and it's, I think it's, you know, it's 2005 ring of honor where I think the floor has never been higher and maybe they don't hit the ceiling quite as often, but like even when things are disappointing, they're still fairly good, you know, enjoyable. And even the show, as far as a disappointment goes, I still, like you said, the top half of the show is pretty good, you know? And, um, that brings us to plugs. If you want to contact us through the years at gmail.com, T-H-R-O-H for through. Uh, we have a thread on the Pro Wrestling Only Plugs Forum. If you want to contact us on Twitter, I am at Trevor Dame, D-A-M as in Mother E, and Matt is at Mayor M-G-F. Same thing, M, not N. Um... Next time on the show, we will be covering Redemption. This is a big one. It's finally – a lot of things are coming to the head. We're entering Punk's final double shot in Ring of Honor, Dayton, Ohio, CM Punk versus James Gibson versus Samoa Joe versus Christopher Daniels for the world title. This is a big one. And on top of that, um, Homicide r- wrestles on uh, Matt Hardy. We once heard recently Gabe say that uh, no one – you'd have to be an idiot to think the Ring of Honor fans would boo Matt Hardy. Well, we'll find out matt we will find out that's right and
1: and and if you are embarrassed that you just spent the last two and a half hours of your day listening to this podcast you have the right to pretend that you've been spending it reading a very classy book
0: yes you've been reading a gravity's rainbow or something and so until then keep pretending and until next time have a good time have a great time